0: Welcome to Savvy Savvy's podcast on call in. This is episode one thirty three, RFK Junior. and West Pole Squad challengers and more. Let's go ahead and chizat chizat Roger. I'll go ahead and and make you um, a speaker, and we'll go ahead and go to uh, Karthik. Karthik, you are on the mic. What is going on? Let me just make sure I have my uh, media volume up. What's up?
1: Hey, Sabi, what's up? Uh, how are you doing this uh, evening?
0: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: Oh, you know, I'm doing, you know, uh, uh, aggressively average, you know, as you can, uh, as I'm sure we all are. Um, uh, so are you uh, aware that the uh, next week is the third uh, Republican uh, debate?
0: Yeah, I was aware of that.
1: Okay. So I was just thinking about this yesterday. Um and then, so I know it's going to be in Miami, and I, I forget who's like the TV host. Um, but I know, like, like, uh, like the uh, second host is actually the Republican Jewish Coalition, and it's going to be in Miami. And with, so, with everything that's happened, I, I can only imagine that you know next week's debate is going to be the most like uh, bloodthirsty, uh, bloodthirstiest debate, maybe even in history of the uh, of the Republican debates.
0: Yeah, I. I believe you. I, <laughs> I I could see that. Um, I could see that happening.
1: You know, I, I usually watch the debates, but I don't think I will because I, I don't need to hear DeSantis or uh, Nikki Haley talk about every, you know, uh, which way they want to slaughter Palestinians. Oh yeah,
0: she they're they're awful, but Nikki Haley has always been this way as as far as, you know, I can remember. And it's obvious, like if you look at their donors, you see like where they're getting funding from and all that jazz. So, it's obvious as people are paying attention to where the money's coming from, then you know why they have the position they do. It's not that they care about people in Israel. This all has to go back to money. That's what this is really about.
1: Yeah, and um, I think it's obviously I, I do think that uh APAC and well, whether and and any other uh uh pro Israel uh, donors are very much involved in why America is so hooked on Israel. But I do think it's a little more, cause, like I've I've heard from a lot of people now well, whether it's uh Whitney Webb, um, but that whether or others that uh the uh Mossad has has a lot of like dirt and blackmail on a lot of the politicians in America and the West too probably. So I think that's like one other reason why um there's everybody's so hooked on israel it's not just the apac money
0: oh whitney webb talked about that
1: yeah i've heard others too but but her specifically because yeah whether it's weinstein or just that the um, the the, uh, Mossad is very effective on gaining dirt i think on like american politicians so i think that's another reason not just the money um for why you know like the entire washington like bows down to israel
2: interesting interesting it, it can be a reason but I, I don't think it changes like the demands or the solutions to this
1: oh yeah for sure yeah i definitely just because yeah. I, I definitely do think that that the APEC money and um, the, all, all the other uh mic money is definitely <laughs> n- number one and um i, I forgot who said this but i think i heard it this week that um because of the location of israel it's very good for our uh, empire needs you know so like whenever uh uh America can't do something that uh, Israel does it, whether it's like bombing Lebanon or, you know, uh, other things like that,
2: or uh, unsinkable aircraft carrier in the Middle East, right? Yep.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into this. I think that, um, you know, people just people just really have to, like I said, you really have to follow the money, and you'll understand why. Like, for example, Hakeem Jeffries, Richie Torres, they're the more obvious ones, but there's other people, too, that are, you know, in bed with APAC, whether they're taking money from them or whether they support them in other ways. There's a, a lot of people that are pushing this. And then I want to mention the new challenger, Dean, um, who is primary challenging Joe Biden. I want people to understand that he is actually in that space to offer support for Israel, unconditional support for Israel. And that's, and I'm willing to bet you, that's what he's gonna run on. So if you if you read about Dean um, and you, you hear, you, you just need to do your research on him and see who he really is, then you'll understand why he's in this race to do what he's doing. Similar to the people that I discussed tonight that are gonna primary challenge squad members, and only on the issue of Israel. So this goes back to what Miko Palid told me before about having very powerful, uh, very powerful people. And Miko Palid was very clear about this to me, which is that you got to understand these groups like APAC, uh, the ADL. These are powerful groups, very, very powerful. And I actually just found out late last night. I don't know if people are aware of this but the nation of islam just filed a lawsuit against the adl for those who are not aware that's the anti-defamation league and they filed a lawsuit against them because the adl is accusing the nation of islam of being anti-semitic
1: you you said the adl is accusing a nation of islam of being anti-semitic yes God, okay, yeah. I can't stand their CEO, uh, uh Jonathan Green. But, like, that guy, like, thinks that, like, that the whole world is out to get him. I just can't stand him.
0: Yeah, well, that's a Zionist organization. Like, yeah. people people have to understand that that piece to it because that's very important. But, yes, it is a Zionist organization, and they've come after a lot of people. Um, and so you just – it, like I said, like, not everyone – that is a zionist is jewish there are christian zionists as well so it's this is not about like when people say this is about you know religion this is not about religion this is about power this is about an ethno state this is about apartheid this is about oppression of other people that's what this is about and i feel like a lot of times they use religion as as the excuse right like well we have the right to have this land because such and such our religion and what the Bible says. And then that points to another issue, which Bible are you referring to, which version and according to who? So that's, that's, that's the other thing. And, um, you know, the U S government has blood on their hands. Joe Biden has blood on his hands.
1: Yeah. So, uh, we're, we're, uh, born in blood and we'll die in blood.
3: Um, you also, um, Sabrina, uh, you forgot about the most important thing that it's about when you was going through your list. It's also about the land that is houses, those natural resources.
0: That's right. That's right. All the resources, the gas and the oil that exists off the coast of Gaza, there's resources there. So, yes, Gaza may be a, a ghetto, essentially, a ghetto that is basically trapped inside of a concert, basically like a concentration camp ghetto. But just because it, it is that doesn't mean there aren't resources there. And by the way, the Palestinian people have no control over
3: those resources in Gaza. That reminds me, we always talk about the the tragic I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna make a connection. We always talk about the tragic ending of um, of uh, Black Wall Street in Greenwood, okay, Tulsa, but we never talk about what's never talked about is that there was a beginning and a middle. So the guy that um, founded uh, Tulsa, I think I think he was a former. Yeah, he might. I think he was a former slave. Or he was the son of um, a former slave. Um, he founded Tulsa, right? And you know, Oklahoma has a lot of oil, so they were sitting on oil. That, that's how they started their uh, wealth. Um, I tried to—I I saw it once on on online. I, I couldn't find it again because every time you refer to Tulsa, we're always talking about the tragedy, its tragic ending. But um, that's where their wealth started from, was that it was that town was built on um, oil.
0: Yeah. You know, so. And that also happened to indigenous people in this country, too. There's actually a movie that just came out with Leonardo DiCaprio about that issue. Killers about- of the
3: Fire Moon.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but that's a true story. And so that's another thing that people, when we talk about like Europeans came here and they colonized and they, you know, killed some of the indigenous people, pushed them off the land and stuff like that. The piece that's often left out, at least in history classes in school, is the fact that there were resources on those lands. And a lot of times it was oil. So that movie that just came out covers that particular issue the dark past of this country about how indigenous people and what they did i don't want to give away the movie but what they did is like they they poisoned these people they made these people sick so that they would die and get them off and that's how they would get them off of the land so america has a very dark history and like some of the things that you're seeing right now happen in reference to palestine um It's just repeating some of the things that have happened in American history as well. And so that's why it's really frustrating to me when I say to people like, look at what the U S government is funding. I'm not even saying supporting it. I'm saying they're funding it because that's important for people to know the amount of money that we give to Israel. We give billions of dollars to Israel every year. Well, we have people in this country that don't even have health care, and look at what Israel is doing with that money. By the way, Everyone in Israel has health
3: care. Just FYI. We need try care for all. Yep.
1: Go ahead, oh,
4: Karthik. You know, yeah,
1: Roger, uh, thanks for sharing that. I didn't know that uh, uh, there there is oil in uh, Black Wall Street. That's good to know. Yeah, Oklahoma,
3: you know, even to this very day, is an oil-rich state.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: They're having earthquakes because of the frac- fracturing of the uh, mantle.
1: You know, of, oh is of that cuz well the fracking that happens there?
3: Yeah, you, you when you when you frack, if you can look it up also, but when you frack, you make the the earth unstable and um, susceptible to earthquakes. You'll find places mm-hmm. across this country that has never had a record of having earthquakes until they start fracturing the earth. Look yep. at where most of the earthquakes are happening. Right. And then just just you, you'll see, like, I don't know, maybe there's some interactive map or something like that. And you'll see that around the fracturing places they they'll have a higher thing of earthquakes.
2: Yeah. With uh, with fracking, like they, they're not only extracting the gas. Also, a big part of fracking is pumping water and fluids, fracking fluids into into the earth to make yeah. the the gases come out and be accessible. And so that whole process makes, makes it unstable down there. And yeah, then it starts rumbling. Yep.
1: Hey, savvy. Uh, one thing I want, last thing I want to ask you before I go. is, So I didn't get to see your show today, unfortunately, but, um, but did you say that the squad has primary challenges now, um, because, uh, I talking yes, writing r- 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 on Israel mainly. Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. Go read the article from the Washington post. Well, okay, you, can watch, you can either watch the show or read the article from the Washington Post. But, yes, they have uh, primary challengers, and, like, they've already named their names. Okay, and then just to
1: be clear, they're running to the uh, uh, le- le- left of the, uh, of the squad?
0: No, they're running to the right of the squad.
1: Oh, okay. I wasn't sure when you first said that. Okay. Uh Yep. Well, the, I I know they had primary challenges last time because I think in 2020 there was like some like what uh, what w- Wall Street banker that that ran against AOC. So um, yeah, I guess this is how the establishment applies pressure. Yep,
5: there you go.
3: You know, um, Sabrina, I remember. Um, yep. so, I mean, you, oh, sorry, my bad.
2: No, oh, you go. Yes, you no go, Rod. Right.
3: Oh. I remember, um, if you remember, uh, last time Lucy was challenging AOC. As, I don't think she was, like, really, like, I think she was doing it as I don't know, as a novelty or something like that. But I remember we was pushing them to, say, get out the Democrat Party and, and run, be a registered independent uh, uh, congressperson. Right. right. And... Maybe this will be the moment that they do. I don't know. But, you know, I'm like, yo, look, you spent all that time doing everything you could to to kiss up to Nancy Pelosi. Okay. With hoping that they don't run. Well, maybe this is Hakeem Jeffries now. But anyway, yeah. to both of them, to, to, to make sure that, oh, please don't run a primary challenger against me. Get all that kissed up to them and they're still running a primary challenger against you That's so right. maybe you should have not cut off not listened to these people and cause and and, and have them cut the umbilical cord to uh, uh, independent online media okay where you was getting your nutrients from where you would get where you were anchored to the base, okay. And um, you wouldn't really have this, but now you fearing. Now you fearing. Oh my God! I, they they threw a uh, they're throwing a primary challenge against me. Even after all that ass kissing I was doing, now yep. you looking back. Do I have support? I say now we got the leverage, and I say look, register independent will think about it.
4: I think
2: one thing to remember is that, you know, all these squad members wouldn't, wouldn't be where they are if they weren't these kind of people. In other words, the kind of people who party and money is going to come first and everything else, including our lives and Palestinian lives is going to come second. You know, I, I, I just almost feel like it's a mistake to view these Congress critters as human beings. <laughs> They're like, you know, It's like NPC, you know, in games, you have NPCs are uh, for anyone who doesn't know is a non-player character. And this is like if you you play a video game and and it's the other characters that do things in the game and and they they look like real people. They look like they have real lives and thoughts, but they're really just they're really just code. They're really just programming. And I kind of think of all these uniparty Congress critters as as NPCs personally. And they're not going to jump to any party unless, you know, it ain't happening.
3: Well, you, they might as well because they no, just. No, they're
2: getting the money now.
3: No, I meant that. That's the, what they the, want. Uh, I don't know. I'm talking about the squad. If if, like, if, if
2: they get it. pushed out. Yeah, I mean, well, hey, but it's all I part mean, of the game.
3: Throw a Hail Mary pass and just be like, fuck it. I'm going to do a Justin Amash and become an independent.
0: But where is Justin Amash now, though? That's I knew you was
3: gonna say that.
0: That's what I'm saying. No, seriously, <laughs> where is is Justin Amash?
2: Oh, yeah, no. I mean, that you know that the game is is playing the game to get paid.
5: Mhm.
0: All right, let me bring in Anthony. What's up, Anthony? You just got to unmute your mic.
5: I just wanted to say, coming um, calling from Detroit. Uh, I don't know about the other squad, but a primary challenge for um, Israel, Democratic majority, for Tlaib, that wouldn't amount to a hill of beans. She's going to win no matter what. I mean, her first run, she ran against the president of the Detroit City Council, and she beat her. Well, it was the two elections on one day. She lost one and beat her in the other one for the new term. And then in 2022, same person challenged her, and she, and Tlaib, like, crushed her by 20, 30 more points. So, I mean, I said Tlaib could go independent and still win re-election just off being an incumbent. But, you know, I just can't, I can't believe how many people like podcasters really are so quick to like start defending all these squad people when they make the little slightest statement, Um, you know, and like Tlaib, she says, oh, Mr. President, we're not with you on this one. It's like, we haven't been with the president for two, three years, you know, glad you were just waking up. So... Anthony, can you ask her a uh,
3: register independent when you see her? It wouldn't hurt. <laughs> but she don't, she don't out like to, like to, to hear from said,
4: me.
0: Someone reached out to me and said, will you please invite her on your show and push her to run as an independent to leave the Democratic Party? And I was like, I, first of all, I have no way of contact." no, like I, I mean, I'm I'm probably sure I can look up like her Congress email or whatever, but to really reach her, you really need to know who her assistant is. Like, that's how I got Rocana, right? So I think the thing is, is like, I mean, I don't think Rashida Tlaib is going to do that. So I think that would be a waste of my time. I really do. Plus, I don't know the political rules in Michigan. Like, I don't know if Michigan has closed primaries or what. I don't know. But, um, I do know there was one woman that was
5: running. uh, We don't even register by party as voters in Michigan. Only candidates do.
0: Oh, really? Well, that's interesting. Because there was one woman that was running before, Michaela Wilkes. She was running in Maryland. And she said, oh, I don't know what happened to Anthony. He dropped off. And she said uh, she had to run. She couldn't run as an independent um, in Maryland because they had closed primaries. Let's bring in um, Eric, and then I'll go to uh, Noel. What's up, Eric? Just got to unmute.
6: Hey, Savvy. How you doing? And everybody else. Hopefully, everybody's doing okay. You, you, doing great. How are you? I'm, I'm all right, and, and happy to be here talking to all you great people on the call. So, uh, you know, Yaya Paul, I, can, I can't It's hard for me to pronounce her last name, but I think... Pretty much the whole squad, I think a lot of their, the why they are even saying what they're saying, except for maybe one of them, in part is because there is all these, all this support for going against Israel. I don't think they're doing it because uh, they could have done it months ago. Uh, you know, the, 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 the state that the Palestinians are in has been, you know, the whole time that they've been there has been this way.
0: Well, Rashida has been doing this. Consistently, just FYI, like she's always spoken out against it. But again, she's also affected. She's directly affected.
6: Yeah. And and that's the one person that I think maybe, you know, maybe Cori Bush uh, has sp- spoken up a little bit more lately. But all of them have been co-opted or have been talked to, you know, whatever the system that they are a part of since they got in there once they were elected. You know whatever conversations are held with them, whatever their staffers or so the people that are actually directing them to do what they do, you know they know the game. They can't really go against Israel as a whole, and it's because of the money in the packs. But not not just the money in the packs, but also the money that you know the the, the people that control the packs, the people that are funding the packs. The uh, those people control a lot of the U.S. Uh, you know economy to some degree Uh, I mean the money that these people have equates to the power and and the ability that they're able to push and manipulate uh, the the media that is by no means you know by coincidence they are there and have been there for decades and it's part of the reason why the conditioning of all of us you know meaning the the the, the U.S. population happens as it does It's, it's not by coincidence those people have been in power The Palestinian people do not have that. They don't have any power. They have very little, you know, their voices are are not heard. Uh, You know, they don't get their stories. It's the reason why we have very few, if any, you know, shows on TV or movies that display the life of a Palestinian on a movie. When is the last time you saw a movie where where you can, you uh, you know, look at a Palestinian person's life? in a movie. I, I can't, I can't remember one movie. i mean, now there's, there's some documentary sure, uh, but those are very few in between and, and they're not seen by a large audience, you know, versus many, many movies that we've seen, you know, uh, through Hollywood depicting, uh, you know, Israel and, and, and their plight, you know? And so mm-hmm. that conditions us to think of the, of them in a, in a more humane manner. And, and that's what happens, you know, uh, to all of us, you know, the, the way that we're conditioned to think of something, whatever that is, we take away, but take away their humanity. And then we put the humanity on other people, you know, and I think I even remember, you know, one of the first topics that I brought to you years ago, I mean, not years ago, but almost a year and a half ago, whenever you did your first shows on call in was the depiction of Jesus, you know, how they had the Jesus to be white and blue eyed. Yep. That, that creates a a way of thinking of this person that you are supposed to love if you're part of that religion. And so now anytime, you know, from, from when, from once you're a kid to, to the, to, you know, to, to the grave, you're thinking that this person that you're supposed or this, you know, entity uh, that you're supposed to, uh, uh, you know, bow down to or and love, looks this way and so that conditions you from birth you know from from the very beginning and 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 that creates uh a problem you know and and that's how you know religions used against us uh uh, to to shepherd us to to guide us and drive us into thinking of one way uh and 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 so you know it's unfortunate uh that's happening right now but the one good thing that, that, you know, that all these platforms are doing, including call-in, including Instagram, uh, definitely TikTok, you know, they're essentially have on bio. you know, they, they've taken off the veil of what's really going on. And now people are seeing. And that's part of the reason why the young, the younger generations are looking at this much, much differently because they're gathering all their their, their data, their their news from these platforms that are not coming through the mainstream media, that are not controlled by the mainstream status quo, and that is was destroying, you know, the the, the narrative that the, the mainstream media wants to put to put out there, right? That's what right. caused all this change, the the the, the shift. If you right know. and
0: remember, they wanted to get rid of TikTok.
6: Yes, yeah, you know, they, they were calling it a Chinese company. Uh, Oh, but but look at what you know look at how much good this this company's doing in terms of I mean it does bad too right but but what I mean is in terms of getting all this information out there it, it's hard to deny it, man, you know when you look at all these little kids every day on instagram uh dying, it's undeniable you you see them with your own eyes and you're like, you know this is messed up, and for me I always use a couple of my friends as a barometer uh to see where things are headed at the very beginning of it you know my friends weren't saying much but as of like last week and I always check their temperature you know with the comments uh, on the text that they sent me they're like oh yeah this, this, this is bad you know what, what's happening over there this has to stop uh, this is not right you know so even you know the point I'm trying to make is regular folks who are not diving deep into this. Are saying the same thing that we 're saying this is wrong, it has to stop. this is not right. The common person is saying that now i, I believe
2: i 've been really struck by how many news stories there are in in all media about what 's happening in Gaza and about you know all the innocent people being killed and, you know the the narrative managers are are failing on this one. It's quite something. I, I think there's a huge opportunity here because, you know, something big is happening.
0: Well, they, they they tried to maintain that narrative in the beginning, like right after October 7th. But then, you know, they realized that they were not receiving that same type of that same type of uh, support from the American people, like when the, the increase in protests uh, continued to happen and, and saturday is going to be the biggest one uh continued to happen they had no choice to cover the other side of it that's the thing and i'm, I'm going to talk about that tomorrow because tomorrow i'm going to talk about wolf blitzer and um joy and uh, joy reed um how they now have to acknowledge some of the things that the state of israel has done because they, they have no choice they have to and also independent media was way ahead of them in reference to this particular issue. And there have been people in independent media that have been covering this for a long time. So I think that's the other thing that they don't think about is that a lot of the younger people, they're more willing to watch something like Al Jazeera, which I said Al Jazeera is good on some things, not so good on others sometimes, but they get this issue right. And they're more willing to watch those types of things instead of watching mainstream media. So the younger people were ready to hit the streets.
2: Yeah, yeah, people in the streets really force the issue, and I think just the the carnage. I mean, it's 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 you know it's it's difficult. It's it's hell on earth there, but it, it's also from a media standpoint, it is kind of a, a media catnip. I mean, it's it's like a, a car crash. You know, they 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 can't help but cover it. It's just too compelling, and so I, I think that's also why these these stories are all over the place. And it's it's a terrible situation, but you know maybe it'll it'll push some real change.
6: Mm-hmm. Now, now Savvy, I did want to you know talk a little bit about the other subjects that you have for, for today's show, which is you know the polls. Uh, I know I listened to a clip uh, from uh, I think it was C.J. Uh, Harlan's Media Kit, and then the guys from uh, Do Dissidents, and I, I can't quite tell if it was the the show was live today but I was watching I was listening to it and watching it on YouTube uh you know after it had streamed but they were looking at you know essentially Cornell and some of the RFK but more so Cornell because that's really what we're interested in but you know their review of where things are at were kind of uh you know kind of bleak in terms of his campaign and and maybe some of the moves that he moves that he's made um but I think, you know, I think in your show, we look at it a little bit differently. I think because we're a little bit more enthusiastic, may, maybe more supportive in, in the sense that we want him to succeed. Uh, I certainly do. Definitely, you know, we've talked about having him, you know, start the rallies, you know, much earlier. And and I think now you, you, you're you also agreeing with that. And And that's probably really needed. And you can see on that clip that you were showing earlier today, how much energy comes across when he does get a chance to speak in front of people and the way that he's able to connect, you know, very naturally, very organically, right? Because he's speaking out of his, you know, out of his heart, out of his mind. Right. And that resonates when, when he does that, when Cornell does that. And, and I think, you know, he just needs the team around him to put him in those situations savvy, where he's going to get an audience as, as big as he can, as, as big as he can in, in these rallies that he needs to put together, he needs to be put in those positions and have people around him that are going to be able to see that and find those venues for him so that he can reach and connect with the people at the ground level. Uh, because then that's how he's going to really make, you know, a big change. And to your, your earlier point about RFK, he's been doing that. Uh, and he's been actually doing this for, for months now where he's coming out and just hitting uh, – I don't know, I don't want to say the ground, but he's hitting, you know, getting out there in front of people. And that is making his poll numbers go up and, and bringing on possibilities, which Eric was saying, you know, Eric was saying that this is a chance for many opportunities. Uh, earlier in the show, Eric was saying, OK, here's an opportunity with everything that's going on. And I think that's correct for someone who's savvy uh, or so, for someone who's stout on on this they can leverage everything that's happening for good but also put their names out there. And I think Cornell needs to do that. He needs to come out and really make his voice be heard, have a message, a concise message that he that he can actually pound every day when he gets out there. The same message along with the policies, uh, foreign and domestic, that he wants to put forward for, for, for the people. I think if he does that, he can still... You know, do do good, right? It's what I believe.
0: Yeah, I think I think that um, you know, as I've mentioned to you guys before, I do think that he he should have. So, I, I think if if I were in charge of this, I would have handled things differently. The can the the rally should have already happened. That should have already happened. Like, the, I mean. And I appreciate, you know, that he's doing, like, a lot of the activism events. Totally appreciate that. But you are running a campaign. And when you're running a campaign, you should be hosting campaign rallies. Like, this should have already happened. Like, I'm trying to tell you guys, I know this only because I'm in New England. R.K. Jr. is here all the fucking time. All the time. Like, I'm I'm telling you, the number of times... Where I've seen RFK Jr. was in New Hampshire. Like his people are mobilized. I'm not kidding. Like they got started very early and he's been going back and forth from New Hampshire to other places, you know, since the moment he announced his campaign. So whoever the volunteers are for the RFK Jr. campaign, like they are heavily mobilized and they got the ground running and they are making a lot of noise. And so, like I said, I don't agree with RFK Jr., policy positions, some of his policy positions and stuff like that, but I do think in reference to the campaign, so to speak, they got that together. Now they did lose Dennis Kucinich, and that's, you know, I, I think that that sucks. Like it really does, but I don't think Dennis could stand by with the RFK Jr.'s rhetoric about Israel and Palestine. I don't think he can continue to stand by and and deal with that. But the thing is, is that they have been hosting rallies in New Hampshire nonstop since the moment he announced his campaign. That's why he's doing so well in New Hampshire. So what I'm saying is, and for people like, well, how how much does it cost to do a rally and da-da-da, guys, you can do some of these things for very little money. Like every time RFK Jr. is in New Hampshire, it's not necessarily a lot of people. I've seen videos and pictures where it's just like him and maybe like 80 other people that, that showed up or whatever, but he's been there so frequent. Yeah. So the thing is, like, it, you should be hosting these. these these. I don't understand why this is not happening. I, yeah, I don't that,
6: get that. Um, yeah, and Nick brought that up, I think, almost like at the end of September. Nick was saying that when he was working for the, you know, it was a different thing, right? Because he was working for the, for under Bernie, but, but by the time, I think, he, I think he said it sometime in September, they, they were already planning all these things. Or maybe it was by the end of the summer that Nick was referring to when he was working or helping out the, the guys from Bernie. Uh, the other thing I wanted to also share with you just as a different topic was just that there's other countries that are now, uh, you know, I think you were mentioning, was it Bolivia who's now, uh cut ties with Israel uh yeah formally but there's other countries that are going to start putting in their hat to not just cut ties but to formally say you know we're against you we're going to actually fight against you and and that could lead to you know really a, a, another big war if if more countries even if they're small in size but if more of them start to kind of jump in there and, and and say hey we're not taking this we're going to stand with with palestine that's where things could get really bad um and then the other thing is i don't think biden has any hope right now i I don't know what show all the clips that i watched today where it's too many clips but but on youtube but biden and and it was also your show i think uh, biden has no chance now i think with with what he's done i would find it hard to believe that people oh i I think you were talking about it savvy maybe you were talking about how how many uh uh, uh, what was it? Not Palestinian population in the U.S., but the uh, Arabic population, or, 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 or I can't remember what you said, but 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 essentially, you know, the, all these people are basically saying, "Hey, we're not going to vote for, for for Biden." People who in the past had not said that. Yep. And, they, and they've done it very quickly, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was
3: that was um, the Arab community in Michigan. And on the silent tip that no one's really paying attention to, the black community, at least the under fifty,
4: black yep. community.
6: Yep. Well, well, Savvy's been, you know, and I, I can't remember how early on it was Savvy, but I mean, on Instagram, uh, for months, for months, there's been all these um, things that I've seen where a whole bunch of uh, you know younger uh, black folks. Uh, saying, hey, we're not voting for this for this guy, we're, and many of them saying, you know, we're going to vote for Trump, uh, and this has been going on for months. Yep. So, so that's kind of snowballing. All these things are coming together, you know, with this, with Palestine. Um, so he, I, I would find it hard to believe that he could win unless unless he's cheating, unless they actually do something really nefarious at the polls. I I just don't see him winning because the common person does not want this guy to come back, I believe. Yeah. A kid
2: kid also. Yes.
3: Here's here's a a dose of reality. This time next year, minus, uh, minus two weeks. So this time, so next year, October, the reality is we're not going to be talking about the Israeli-Palestine issue. I mean, I'm just talking about, I'm not saying it's not important, right? but just the way things go. And who knows what the next big thing is around the corner? I mean, what were we talking about last year? Ukraine? Right. right. What about the year before that? What was that, 2021? We were just talking about lockdowns? Yeah. Yep. You know, like, for instance, Kennedy, he can't talk about really vaccines anymore because that's in people's rear view mirror. So to try to come back and be like, to try to get them on vaccines or whatever the case is. Yeah. I mean, people, it's so much in people, you know, only people talking about it is, is Jimmy Dore pretty much. And I, I think he stopped talking about it. You know what (laughs) I mean? It's, I mean, it's just so much in people's rear view mirror, you know, but it's like one of those things when you have the national attention you got to squeeze as much juice out of that orange as you possibly can to see what you can get mm-hmm. because once it passes you by it's going to be a little bit harder i mean we had occupy wall street we did not capture the moment i mean that was really you guys moment you, you millennials moment and we didn't really capture the moment to to be like oh get some things get get some things done you yes. know what i mean cuz we was fighting against the one percent class we were fighting against the financial services class we was fighting against the wall street class and then what do you have what, what what happened after that oh the the george floyd protest that can they didn't just capture the national matter of fact occupy went beyond our borders right it went it went around the world same thing with the george floyd protests yeah and now we got sure. the palestinian thing you, you know what i mean yeah and and these things capture the, the attention. And when you have it, you got to do with it whatever you can get out of it before the next big thing comes along. I mean, that's true. and,
6: and, I, and I think that's what Eric T. was was talking about, the opportunities, you know, of, of what's going on today and to, to leverage them for something good. You know, like you're saying, to squeeze that, that orange as, as much as you can for, for good.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: and if you do that people will remember that too you know if you do it bad they'll remember it but if you do it really well for the right reasons people will remember that how we fact, gonna figure we, out, sorry no go ahead
3: and how are we going to figure out where lightning is, is going to strike next you know what i mean that's all you can do is have all we can do is have certain things in place and ready to capture that lightning in a bottle when it strikes. But we got to know where the light, where the lightning is going to strike and, you know, whether we got well, bottles all over the place or what,
6: you know, what well, even, even, uh, I mean, this just goes back to the Rockefellers and, and those, those think, think, t- think tanks that, that do thinking and brainstorming for decades. And they, they take advantage of situations where there's resources, whatever it is, uh, Rest assured, those who are pulling the strings at the very top, they don't think about just one catastrophe or one thing that happens. They're looking at, you know, they have 10-year plans, maybe even further ahead, and and they have the resources to wait for when something happens. And when it happens, they're ready to rock and roll and do what they want to do for themselves and and the powers that be. And
3: let me just give a little bit
2: of advice to I think it's possible for a a candidate, a well spoken candidate with a good message, to to drive the agenda. And I think we saw this in the Bernie campaign. People forget that nobody knew who Bernie Sanders was. I mean, you you had a, a few weird lefties like me who had who had heard of him here and there. And the reason Bernie took off was that message. You know, I'm talking about the first run when he was really based. And he was talking about the billionaires and he was, you know, talking about about the big money and to some extent the the corruption. I think if Dr. West has puts that front and center, the money and the corruption, I think if he if he if he is just relentless on that, I think he could go really far. And of course, he's going to have to have to finish up the the DS of the MCDS. He's going to have to have clear demands and and good, clear solutions. Because, you know, with all these issues and the Israeli-Palestine and all this stuff, the reason they, to me, what part of my thesis that I'm putting out there is that the reason all these things seem in, intractable, unsolvable, is because they're out there as these individual things. Oh, how can you fix it? How can you fix Israel-Palestine and, and, and the one-state, two-state, all this stuff? You know, how can you fix um the healthcare system how can you fix all these things and what i'm proposing is that the the fix has to be big the, the, these, these 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 are systemic issues this this draws this this all connects in to a to a corrupt corporate money-driven billionaire controlled system and and the fixes are gonna have to be systemic and big and it gets into the money and i'm and i'm putting out there that the weak point is basically where the billionaires pay off the politicians. There's a point there where you can have campaigns, have movements, yelling, pointing out that corruption, and make it, make that kind of corruption become politically toxic, and and demand that kind of change, and really make something happen. But I, I feel like it's going to have to be very clear and, and targeted on those things. And I just hope Dr. West and his team is will get that and and can do it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I want to make sure I get to other people. No so yeah, can... worries,
6: thank you, Savvy. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you so much, Eric. Um, I'm going to go to Noel and then I'll pick up Sebastian.
7: Good evening, everyone. Um, you know, I find this moment to be quite um, challenging because as we consider what's going on, it is interesting to see the dichotomy that's being created. Um, between the understanding of Zionism and anti-Semitism and the Jews in this country versus the Israelis. And all of these topics are coming up. And this moment is giving the nation the opportunity to deal with these constructs and perhaps understand them in a more granular way and it is causing some type of seismic shifts in the way people understand things. You know, so we know that everything emerges from narrative. And so for the longest time, the narrative has always been, oh, Israel has the right to defend itself. But in this particular, particular moment, Israel's response to October 7th is so out of proportion People are being confronted with what they see versus what they hear. And as um, James Baldwin said, you know, I can't trust, you know, what you say because I see what you do. And I think we're having that type of moment in this country. But in the biggest picture, I see it as a, a response to the fracturing of this whole project in terms of America being a um, colonialist settler project in itself. And so you have black people and oppressed people seeing themselves through the lens of the Palestinians in Gaza. Certainly you have that dynamic with the indigenous peoples in this country. And because we have social media now, there are options and opportunities for people to understand these things in different ways. And I think there has been such a big disconnect between major media and social media and with respect to independent media that the powers that be really have not figured out outside of censorship. They haven't really figured out how to control that narrative in such a way that um, their voice is the preeminent voice on everything. And, you know. The, the reality is the Democrats depend on a very pluralist kind of um, base in terms of their, their getting national offices. So they need the different, you know, ethnic and religious minorities and this and that to come together. And I don't think they really calculated what the impact would be of this staunch stand behind, you know, Israel. When you have now a significant population of Muslims and Arabs and even Palestinians in the Detroit area, and that was a critical area, you know, Biden only won by a hair. But the flip side of it is because we only have a duopoly and they're more alike than they're unalike, especially when it comes to foreign policy, it makes it a very, um, difficult thing to read because they're all about funding war in one form or another. But, you know, you have the Republicans who are kind of leaning against Ukraine, but leaning into, you know, Israel and the Democrats leaning into both, but the masses are being told, you know, we're going to cough up these billions and billions and billions of dollars at a time when we have consistently told you what you can't have. You can't have universal health care. You can't have free tuition. So to me, the the total picture is the empire in collapse. The powers that be are losing control of the overall narrative. They're in fighting amongst themselves. We see the fractions uh, um, appearing, the fractures in the, the parties and the party narratives appearing and you know, globally with the dollar, you know, moving into this weakening state and we're still having this extreme um, inflation in this nation, which is, you know, causing a hardship on the lower end. I think it's just like, you know, the worst of all circumstances coming to bear and nobody really has a grasp on how to, you know, bring this whole thing into some type of Narrative that they can control or that under the old paradigms will work. So I think we're really in a, a peculiar place. But I must say that, you know, I was saying last time that, you know, Cornel West needs to be doing these, you know, rallies, not attending rallies for, you know, strikes or things like that, but having his political campaign rallies. But the reality is, since Cornell first announced his running for president, the static around his campaigning, quote, unquote, was leading the narrative. It was not his candidacy, which is the flip of RFK. You can tell RFK Jr. did some due deliberation in thinking through his run for president. So there's been less static around him. But Cornell West is just getting to the point where he can just focus on campaigning because of all of that other stuff. But I must say, I think, you know, in this climate where Biden's numbers are so in a precipitous decline, I just can't help but think this would have been a wonderful opportunity for Cornel West in a green party candidacy to capitalize on this and have some level of a party infrastructure to mobilize and, you know, move towards getting more people on the ballot. Because as we talk, there is the issue of ballot access. And so even if he or RFK Jr. capitalizes on this moment and gain a lot of momentum in, you know, polls, there is still the issue of whether they can be on that ballot. And if they can't well, do it, it's still going to be tricky.
4: Well, RFK so,
0: is not going to have, he's not going to have an issue with getting on the ballot because he has the money. But that's the same. The
7: My understanding was some states are more amenable. Their processes are more given to money being able to weigh in, but that's not all states. And in some of those states, you're still gonna need to get them signatures. And so it's like he may have less of an issue, but he if you don't have a, a organized infrastructure with boots on the ground, you're going to have some issues. And
4: and, and that's
0: that is something I will say real quick that, like, I'm on the email list because when Eric and I covered RFK's announcement in Boston, like in order to attend that as press, you had to sign up for the list. So I'm on the email list still. And that's what I'm trying to tell you guys, like he RFK Jr. has boots on the ground. He's mobilized people. He's been done this. This is the thing. That's what I'm saying. Like he has boots on the ground in New Hampshire. And it seems like to me what I've noticed, it seems like he's focusing on key states. He's heavily focusing on key states, but he has boots on the ground. He has the infrastructure. He has what Cornell, Cornell West should have these things. Like that's the thing that upsets me is that he started off as a Democrat. Now he's running as an independent but RFK Jr.'s poll numbers have increased since he left the Democratic Party. Now, same thing with Cornell West. Cornell West poll numbers have increased since he left the Green Party. So I don't know if people have, have noticed that. But what I'm saying is, like, to Noel's point, the infrastructure is still a problem. Like, you should have boots on the ground. You know how many people have contacted me and said that they signed up to be a volunteer for Cornell West campaign and they never heard anything back?
7: And see, here's the thing with the Green Party for all its problems, they had been through the, the process before. So they understood what it meant to gain access or obtain access in certain states and this and that and blah, 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 blah. Cornell West will essentially be doing that from scratch and without the party machinery with the knowledge from having done it before. So, you know, that can be a, a, a prickly thing and to get people mobilized and energized enough to actually go out there and do it. But, you know, like I said, I just see it as a missed opportunity. And again, it goes back to the beginning in that we talked about the beauty of a West campaign was not necessarily that he would win, but he would begin to organize the left and began to have that infrastructure build capacity so that in the, you know, years ahead, you know, it we would be in a better position to potentially run and win, you know. But this thing just turned into him, him, him and what's comfortable for him, what's best for him. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not what this project is. You know, you're and and again, he is so comfortable on the stump at these rallies and stuff, because that's what is his familiar. But I'm saying at some point, you're going to have to kind of break out of that mode and demonstrate the discipline to move those policy conversations forward. And, you know, I know you got to do your shtick about, you know, my brother, your brother, you know, it's just so frustrating to me because I see it as counterproductive in terms of, Beginning to take on the veneer of a real serious candidate for president where your situation is anchored in the policies. We need you to talk. And, and to again, to your point, Sabrina, if he is to have these campaign rallies, hopefully he will begin to demonstrate that focus on the policies because it's the, the commentary to people's everyday lives which is what motivates people. That's what got Bernie out there. That's what made Barack Obama more than just a novelty. They would at least speak to what was going on in the lives of the people in a way that it was related to policy proposals. And that's what I don't, you know, quite get from Cornell at this point, but, you know, I just see, again, I see this thing being so unpredictable. as we round the bend. And I I still see this as indications of this empire being in collapse, hyperextending itself militarily, overspending the budget. You know, it's just like everything all at once. And it's because they're trying to say the world. We're still in control. We're still going to have a unipolar reality. And the rest of the world really has moved on. And if that situation in you know, Israel-Palestine extends itself and turns into something else. I can just see us going into another situation where we're to shake and quiver. The The mass of oppressed people here who never really recovered from the COVID thing in terms of economically are going to be oppressed even more. And I could just see it really getting out of control.
3: I, I felt... Um... For as long as you've been saying that, I've been saying that, I've been saying the exact same thing, um, like, from the start, like, when, when you would say, and, you know, I know you don't mean, like, like, harm by it or whatever, but as far as, like, when you say, you know, going with the, you know, my brother or my brother, whatever the case is, and, and uh, we need to get down to the, to the policies, to the nitty gritty, you know, I, I've... I've felt, I kind of, I got to admit, you know, I, I kind of rolled my eyes also when, you know, like, okay, he, he goes with the brother and so on and so forth. Um But you're not throwing any shade on him or anything like that. But um I I always kind of felt that about him where it's just like, all right, well, got it. They, they're the brother, they're your brother. When we're going to get, you know, to the policy pretty much. But, you know, that's that's how I always felt uh,
0: But in reference in reference to the policies, we went over the policies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant I mean like there's it depends who's doing the interview. Like some people that have interviewed him have gone just strictly over the policies and not like the you know the other stuff that's going on. But I will say that like honestly, like if I was in charge of this, things would be done very differently. Number one, where is the announcement rally? okay so rfk jr had an announcement rally i covered it on the ground marianne williamson had an announcement rally in dc like where is the announcement rally like that's that's missing that's that's the 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 first thing hold a rally to do the announcement that piece is missing i don't know if they're waiting to do that next year or what but that should have already happened number two i like the activism stuff that's going on But at the same time, like there, like I said, there should have already been campaign rallies on the ground. Everybody else has already done this, you guys. Like Mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying. Like, and I, so it's just like, I get it that you're, you're trying to do like a movement and I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, like now that you're running as an independent and not through the Green Party, if you lose at the end of all of this, what do the people have to go back to? This is the same problem that we have with Bernie Sanders. So the thing is, is that as an independent, are you same thing with RFK Jr. I said the same thing. RFK Jr. running as an independent. That's cool. But it's RFK Jr. But RFK Jr. Is not trying to build a movement. And he never said he was. If you say you're trying to build a movement on the left, the left has to have something to go back to after this is all over. And Bernie Sanders did not have that. So my thing is, I, I know, Ellen, I know he announced on Russell Brand, but that's not what I'm talking about. Every candidate so far that has is, um at least considered in the polls, they had a, a, an announcement rally. RFK Jr. had an announcement rally here in Boston in copley uh, eric was with me we covered it on the ground that was a huge announcement mainstream media covered it local news was there and covered it that's how people found out rfk jr was running in the first place so yes i get he announced it on russell Brand's show but where is the announcement rally marianne williamson had an announcement rally in dc like you have to have that
7: but but here's the thing. He is just now settling into his running lane. You know, that's why I say you could tell um, with Marianne Williams and RFK Jr., they had thought these runs out in detail before. So when they announced they had campaign managers, they had a certain amount of infrastructure, this and that. So those things came with them with the announcement. Even though Marianne has had to, you know, shift do some shifting in personnel, she entered the forum with those people in tow. So it's a different thing to drive a car when you have all of the working parts than it is when you go from a tricycle to a um, two-wheel bike to a motorcycle, which is what Cornel West has been doing. You've kept shifting your vehicles, and now finally you're in the horse and buggy lane, and now you have to kind of play catch up in terms of what the process is. But like you say, if he kept talking about this is a moment in the movement, then you have to conceptualize the bigger picture is the movement. Now, what part does my moment play? And, you know, that's why I thought, you know, all of this talk about, oh, you know, I'm a jazz man. I have to be able to improvise and this and that. I'm saying, You are trying to build a movement, which is about organizing people to mobilize them. And it's really not going to be you to do the the real big mobilization. Because just like in the civil rights movement, by the time Martin Luther King emerged and we had the bus boycotts and this and that, there was a whole history of people moving through and building that momentum for that moment in that movement. And a lot of the soldiers were unsung you know but so we're saying to my thinking it was okay Cornell Cornel West campaign will galvanize this and instead of doing what Bernie did which is tuck his tail and go you know sheep her for the democrats that this would be the movement where the people would be left in a place to continue organizing and continue moving and this and that but he his campaign has become so much centered around him and his personality and his you know, public proclivities is like, child, come on. And that's why I see this whole thing floundering in terms of what it could have been. And to your point, Sabrina, and if he does not win or this and that and blah, 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 where where does the momentum go? So, you know, but the other point I wanted to make is quickly to pivot to these so-called um squad being challenged, you know, it's a prickly issue to talk about the immense power that is wielded by the Anti-Defamation League, the um, um, APAC and DMFI. It's, it's a difficult conversation to discuss the power that this group amasses collectively given their minority status. They really do have an outsized voice. And they're making sure they advocate not necessarily for all Americans or this and that. They're specifically pushing for Jewish issues and in certain circumstances, Zionist issues. And it's hard to discuss that without being called anti-Semite or this and that and blah, blah, blah. But there's something to be said about that and the way they use their organization's to control the narrative. And I don't mean just their narrative, but I mean the national narrative. Again, I say there is not another ethnic group or religious group that controls or dictates the nation's foreign policy with respect to the land, you know, that they have a connectivity to. You just don't see it. There is no parallel to it. And it almost feels like, the, the tail wagging the dog. You got this very small minority in terms of numbers, but they're dictating not only foreign policy, but, you know, picking candidates and who's going to win and who's going to lose and who they're going to challenge. And they're so powerful that they can do it. I still remember the way they got behind Chantel Brown and in a fortnight they had Nina Turner on the ropes. And she started out with a huge lead. That speaks to a big thing of power to me. And they're wielding it in a way, not like I say, to benefit all working class Americans or this and that. It's along the lines of a very narrow secular interest. And I think that's dangerous. But again, it's difficult to have that discourse without being called the anti-Semite. But I think that it, it, it goes through my mind back and forth. I'm like, wow, these people really... They have shut down major personality types, you know, athletes, this and that. They can do it. And that's a lot of power. And, you know, like I say, I just wanted to bring that point. Yeah, you're right.
0: Any Anything else, Eric? I'm going to go to Sebastian.
6: No, I'm good. Thank you, Savvy. Thank you.
0: All right. Let's bring in uh Sebastian. You are on the mic, Sebastian. You just have
8: to unmute. What's up? Hello. Thank you so much for your show today. It's been a long time since I've been in calling? I usually watch your shows on YouTube. So, yeah, so I've went to experience Bumble. Um. So, about the news regarding the squad, I'm not surprised at all because, again, this is the same squad that has been endorsed by DSA, and yet AOC called the DSA protesters in New York City anti-Semites. And I just am not surprised at all because they have completely abandoned the working class that that support them to office, you know what I mean? Because now they don't even speak to working class people. Like the only way that they could talk to working class people is to paid events where people have to pay over $100 to speak to them. So I don't believe in tapping over people's graves. I don't like that. But at the same time, though, they kind of get, like, you kind of get what you sow, essentially. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing, too, with all the heat that they're getting right now, like, if they had done what they were supposed to do as Justice Democrats and also not ignored left independent media, you know I think what's left of their base would have had their back it's it's hard to like this is hard to say, but like the thing is is like is what it is what happening to them right? No, it's not right, but it's like I don't feel compelled to have their back because they didn't have our back. They didn't have working class people back. They didn't have the backs of the people that they took 10 to 15, $25 from that didn't really have it to get. That's the thing. So yeah, it sucks what's happening to them, but it's hard to have their back because they, they just played, they played us and they treated us in such a way. So I think like that's, that's the other thing. It's like, it's, it's hard to defend them. Now, I will say Rashida Tlaib, she's been consistent on this issue from day one. Obviously, so she's Palestinian. She's been consistent on this issue. Justin Amash, who we were talking about earlier, he spoke out against this. Like, you know, he's Palestinian as well. And he was talking about he had family members that were killed, you know. But I think the thing is, is that now it's just kind of like you guys, like the, the squad, like you, they just sit
8: alone. But let's not not forget. Like AOC cried whilst voting in favor of Israel's Iron Dome. Right. Like exactly. And for me, I'm not. I'm not Israeli. I'm not Palestinian. I'm just speaking from a. I'm speaking of a perspective of a U.S. taxpayer. I just don't see the point of using our taxpaying money be sent to a country that can not only have a military but also have enough money to provide for their citizens universal care. <laughs> like this doesn't make any sense um i watched this youtube channel called redacted i i agree to disagree with them but what i think i like about is their foreign policy and what i do like is how they talk about foreign policy military industrial complex and they even mentioned the fact that israel also had a surplus a budgetary surplus, which is completely different from the United States, where they keep on spending, spending, spending money on useless wars. So,
0: yeah, I actually haven't seen that show yet, but I was looking at like my um, YouTube analytics and I saw that some of my viewers watch Redacted. So, I, I have to check that out. I, like I said, I haven't seen it yet. Um, but it's just, it's very upsetting to me the fact that when I think about. The US government sending billions of dollars to this country where everybody has health care. They have free college. Free cop they don't do this for African nations, guys. What what have been the atone what has been the atonement for slavery in this country in reference to who we are going to support today? How has the US government tried to you know compensate for slavery? Of African American descendants of slaves. how do they try to? They have done nothing.
8: And let's not forget also Haiti too. Like I'm Haitian American myself. Like United States literally sent a armed vessel to steal gold from Haiti's bank for safekeeping, and never return that never return gold ever again.
0: Right, and and the U.S. government, and also there's the issue with Woodrow Wilson, where Woodrow Wilson also destroyed, uh, basically sent in the Marines to take over Haiti their infrastructure, their banks, etc. Like it's just, I'm so sick and tired of hearing about how we have to support every group except for black people in this country. I'm so tired of it. And all these politicians, even the Republicans, who can get up there and say, we gotta support Israel, you know, it's anti Semitic to do this and da 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 those same Republicans criticize the Black Lives Matter protests. They criticize people protesting against police brutality. When it comes to Black people in this country, those people don't give
8: a damn. And not just that, like, I love Hispanic people. I have no politics with Hispanic populations and all that. But it's really disturbing that Joe Biden, in a virtual interview, even said that within the next 2050 Black people... Have to compete with Hispanic people for jobs now, which I learned from a town hall when he was running for election in 2020, which is really disturbing. You just want Biden to be just be the permanent underclass in society, which just frustrates me, which is why we as Black people, why do we keep on voting for a Democratic
3: Party who don't even support us? Oh, I can answer that. Because the we is not really we. The we that you speak of is those. Is is our um, uh, parents or grandparents those who hail from that old civil rights movement era, who have hoisted people like Maxine Waters up on a pedestal, um, and you know even some younger ones too that are in that are that are like in the door, like Angela Rye who calls Maxine Waters Aunt Auntie Maxine, you know what I mean? Okay. So it's either the 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 so it's both. The, the older voters, um, especially black women. And at the same time, if they're younger, it'll be the ones who are already in the door.
8: I have a feeling that might be changed, though, because with the whole migrant crisis thing, especially in Chicago, a lot of black people are, just, are at least questioning their loyalty to their own kind of party. I remember watching this Twitter video about how a black lady confronted the mayor of Chicago. How she had been going for the Democratic Party for decades, and she called the question, "What has the Democratic Party
3: done for Black people?" Well, yeah, that's what. See, so well, I was just answering your question why, because you was asking in the past why. Well, yeah, yeah. So no, yeah, but yes, as far as now, yeah, of course they're they're seeing that now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, whoa, what is this? But
7: the more pres- the the more prescient reason it happens is because the descendants of slaves in this country have had a hollowed out and inept politics. You know, we have relied on skin color as an indicator of connectivity and representation. And it it just really isn't the case. And so we have been particularly susceptible to black leaders who will come and you know show their black skin or brown skin as the case with Obama and Kamala where there really isn't any linear connectivity but we gravitate because we see this black person and so we have been the our sojourn in this nation has been given to symbolism so we just oh we were so glad to see a black this that and a third oh yeah this and that and so the the um Political establishment realized early on, oh, you don't have to deliver anything on any demands because, you know, we gave them half ass civil rights and rotating voter rights and this and that. And that's been it. And so, you know, the project to move us towards uh, economic equality or economic footing just evaporated. And I, I really, and I do think that in the, um, aftermath of the civil rights movement proper in the 60s with all those assassinations, I think it did traumatize a lot of people and people were tired. And so that generation of um, African Americans really were exasperated and exhausted and they did not pass the holistic baton over to the young people, which is why we still had dinosaurs like L. Sharpton hanging around talking instead of preparing the next generation. And, you know, you have to make those demands. But our body, our politics have been so vapid till all you have to do is show us some brown skin. And, ooh, honey, here we all go. But it's time to have a politics rooted in demands. And if you ain't delivering, then I don't care what skin color you are. We need to, uh, a politics that's rooted in our economic betterment and we just have not had that. And that's why that trend you see of, you know, black people riding the wave and getting in the office and then they betray you as soon as they take their oath and begin working with the machine and they don't care what you say and do after that because they use name recognition after that point to get reelected over and over and over. And if you question their integrity, then you get beat down by the crowd. So it's really a sad set of circumstances but I think there there's hopefully an awakening in the body politic for Black people, and we're starting to see. But I, you know, it's almost too late. Well, well I just
8: want to. I'm so sorry. I just want to interject. There's also Black classism as well. Like a lot of these. Oh, black yes. A lot of these black yeah. Like a lot of these Black politicians, they are from the upper class of Black society. I was watching a YouTube video about Black classism by intellectual who does this, she's a, she's a historian, YouTube historian, and she mentions fact that, that since, I think I just slavery, just, I think sometime the Gilead know that there was always a black upper class that oftentimes would, that oftentimes would advocate for their class interests. Yeah,
0: the, the Boulay class, and those are the people, and I, and for people who are not aware of this, a lot of the black politicians that you see in Congress, are also a part of that group. That's, yeah, that's
8: which really why important. which is why you can't fight some. We cannot fight racism without fighting classism, and you know, just using the my. There's grifter is like Abraham as candy that use blackness as just oh, a way God. to use money, and it really frustrates me because like. Washington University, they could use they could use a million dollars to actually support Black students. Like they could literally provide tuition for their student population, at least uh, on a graduate level.
3: You know. Oh, sorry. Uh, Go ahead, Roger. Yeah, I will say this, and perhaps Noel, you remember this: the first Black politicians. Who came into power were actually doing something for the black community i mean i heard a lot of good stuff about marion but mayor marion barry okay yeah of course he, he got the news is you know smoking crack and, and whatever the case is um the the it chicago wasn't, it wasn't just that he was corrupt oh I heard it, I heard he did a lot of
0: good things, though. I don't know.
3: I, I'm just you, well. You, you was down there. You could, I guess, you, you know. Can do,
0: just, you can do good things
3: and still be corrupt. Yeah. Okay. Um, also, who's who's the other one? The guy that died in office, the, Harold Washington. I, I heard he was doing some good things. Um, you know, I mean, he was the first black mayor of Chicago. I mean, I guess like uh, uh, I don't know, Barbara Jordan.
4: Uh,
3: uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, unbossed and unbought, Shirley Chisholm. You know what I mean? So that, those are not like the same ones. You know you know what I mean? Like the first ones that got in there, from my understanding, they was actually doing something for the black community.
7: I think the first ones who entered did come with a, a, a different set of integrity. But I think as years have gone by and let's not underestimate the impact of being the first of your kind, entering what is a white supremacist institution. Because, you know, the first round were really just tokens in that, oh, you the first and, you know, everybody is happy to see that. So you can come and speak to those, you know, needs and be a little bit more effective, but that no one was there to capitalize on it. And the You know, a lot of those people, the first rounds of black people to make it into those offices really did come from grassroots type situations. And there is always the temptation to exploit those offices and maybe do some of the things you see your white counterparts doing that the system will allow them to do and get away with it. But it's not going to allow you to do it and get away with it. And so, you know, you have a media machine that's, you know, chomping at the bit to, you know, magnify any little thing you've done wrong, but you also have a one voice with, you know, in sometimes white city councils that still were putting you in check or this and that. So there has never been a time where we've had allies in the system to say, yeah, you may be the only black, but I'm supportive of you and I'm gonna do this. There's always been a huge pushback. And like you say, the system, is there to exploit anything that seems like it might become a threat, just like Black Lives Matter. As soon as it surfaced, you get all this money coming in and this and that, and people misuse it and this and that, and there that movement goes. Nobody seems to have been able to just stay the course and really be for the people. And sometimes I think it's because the system thrashes you out if you really think about it. You know, with the so-called squad, if they tried to just stay the line on all of the objectives of being a squad member, they would have been chased out of town long ago. So they do this ugly dance where they end up betraying the trust of the people who get them there because they're trying to please the donors who can fund their next campaign. So it's just really
0: that's right. Uh, anything else, Sebastian?
8: Oh no, I'm all good. Thank you so much for hosting this. It's getting quite late, but thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sebastian. Let's bring
0: in um, Ashura. Ashura, you're on the mic. What's up? Just gotta
9: unmute. <clears throat> um, uh, I don't think Corner West is gonna win. Um, not really expecting it. Because I think I committed voter fraud on your poll, so I'm, I'm like, I don't, I committed voter fraud on your poll, so I don't think he's gonna win. So that's it. You committed
4: what? <laughs>
9: you committed voter fraud.
0: <laughs> what? Oh, oh, on the YouTube poll.
9: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, you didn't get that one.
0: <laughs>
9: yeah. Because uh, as much as uh, I was, I was, I agree with a Noel when it comes to the the negative, when it comes to Cornell West, with my brother this, my brother that, the fact that he's dragging his feet, now he's starting the his campaigns. I'm like at this point, even if I have my my differences with him, I would choose Cornell West in a heartbeat because he's the only one that's talking sense. He's the one that's talking like anti-war. The other ones are just pro-war like i i want you to tell me all these candidates coming in how many of them are are, are anti-war cornell west is the only one
0: yeah but i think the problem is some of the energy that was around cornell west's campaign has died uh because of a number of reasons which is you know one just like i said before like not mobilizing not having like the rallies like that kind of thing but then also you know, a lot of things changed after that Jimmy Dore interview, too. And I think it's just, you know, if if I was undecided and I didn't know about like RFK, like his position and stuff. Like, let's say I didn't know much about Israel-Palestine and, and I was undecided and I see the interview with RFK and I see the interview with Cornell West, I'm probably going to lean more towards RFK Jr.,
9: yeah, the the RFK stands like they're <laughs> they lost. Even Jimmy is like fucking trashing RFK nowadays. Even he's openly saying no, his campaign is fucking dead. He's he's choosing to go to war with uh <laughs> Iran, saber-rattling with China, basically going with Israel's uh, <laughs> uh bombing of uh of Palestinians. Like he's, his campaign is done. He's like he even said it multiple times. He did a basically a, a, a video about it, even though he was a kind of a little bit bitter when it comes to cornell west but he kept saying cornell west is the he's the best guy on this one even though he looks like he's not running a campaign but he's the only guy that's basically saying the shit that should be done, be saying right now right but he, it's
0: one thing to say those things when the person isn't present it's another thing like when the person is present and you say something different and, and that's something that I mean, I think I i, I at least notice like when it's one thing to say those things about RFK Jr. now. But what did you say when he was there in the studio? It's when one he, thing to say those things about Cornel West now. But what did you say when he was there in front of you?
9: Well, when it like, comes to the very, RFK. Very,
0: there was a big difference between those two interviews. One of them definitely came across as though it was an attack, attack. uh, Yeah. Attack mode. The other one came across as we're just having a conversation.
9: Yeah, well, that was that was the thing to begin with. It was a conversation. It was try, Jimmy the, Jimmy trying to get uh, what's an RFK to understand the Palestinian thing. That is when when Pasta told him and the Palestinians. So he was trying to get him to understand that when Jimmy Dore put all these videos, he didn't give a fuck. And that's when Jimmy Dore basically, when this thing was over. And he said, man, he, he overwhelmed me with a bunch of bullshit. I'm like, well, why didn't you say that to his face? No, I'm I'm
0: sorry, sure I got to push back on that, though, because the thing is, the last, the very last interview that I had with Jimmy Dore, before he had that interview with RFK, he told me to my, fe- my face that RFK Jr. knew. Because I asked, I said, I don't understand why he doesn't get this issue with Israel and Palestine video still up. You can see it for yourself. I'm not and he, saying said, you're right. I'm and just he laughed saying. and said, you think he doesn't know. So he, he knew that RFK jr knew and understands it. So there is no trying to get RFK jr to understand. He understood. RFK jr has obviously been spoken to by certain groups. I wouldn't be surprised if one of them is APAC, And that's why he's saying the narrative that he's saying.
9: No, I'm just. Um, I don't know. Uh, did the video that you wanted you talked to with Jimmy was it before the pasta confronted him? because that, that that's where I'm talking from. Because that was based on. It was that.
0: after. It was after that.
9: Okay. Yeah, and when it comes to the pe- the protesters with the Jewish people protesting in the streets, I, I find it fucking ironic that the Democrats and, and Fox News is the only one calling them what they call them? Uh, zionists or uh, anti-semit anti-semites and i i'm i was wondering when is uh, cnn going to call them anti-semites and along with uh, abc and msnbc i'm i'm like i'm not hearing that shit no, i think maybe they, i, I, I
0: no, they did call them anti-semites in the very beginning right after october 7th they were calling the, all of them were doing that
9: so I what think, what caused them to stop saying it
0: so as i so I, I've been saying this over and over. The massive protest is the reason why they're not saying that now.
9: Okay. So they bus- they basically saw the Muslims are just saying, now nah, we we fucking done with this shit. Without voting for you, and, and 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 it brings back. I don't know who said it. Was it Eric or was it uh, Noel or Roger? Where they say, well, I don't see black people not saying, I'm not voting for this guy. But they'll all lockstep. will vote for him regardless. All you have to say is. Here comes Trump and the Republicans. They're going to go after your rights. And all of a sudden they go back to the Democratic Party sucking tea.
0: Which it black depends. People, though, because it's it's not black people like me and Roger. It's people that are like my parents' age.
4: Exactly. Which even,
0: which even my parents don't even fuck with. Like, see, the, that's the thing. Like, a lot of the younger black people, even we go back to Bernie's campaigns, most of the younger black people voted for Bernie
9: and uh i was watching uh professor black truth you also mentioned that most black people don't see the parallels between the black struggle and the palestinian struggle which i'm like i'm looking at it from a haitian perspective because we were we were both slaves so i'm like how the fuck are you saying it's not the same thing because professor black truth was saying we need to stay away from when it comes to palestinian struggle it's not our struggle it's never been our struggle I'm like, wait a minute, I can find multiple videos of Malcolm X, even MLK.
0: But that's because some from the ADOS and the FBA group do not believe in paying attention or intervening in any of these issues that are outside of foundational black Americans. That's where that's where that's coming from. Um, this, this is why, like Nick has offered to bring people from those groups on and have a, a discussion about this, and they'll argue with him on Twitter. And every time he asks, you know, come on, on to RBN and we can have this discussion, every time they decline.
9: Yeah, because I'm like, there's no way, there's no, there's no uh, synergy, there's no correlation, because they are. I mean, you could see them basically being thrown to the outskirts of the of Israel. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh shit, there's some oil there, there's some gas there. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta get them out, get off the land, get them off the land. It's like everywhere they, they want to shove them somewhere else, but the country that they're shoving into is saying, we're not taking them. It's, and then I hear, excuse me,
7: is
0: somebody but eating? But, oh. Yeah, what is, that? Roger? Can you mute things? <laughs> but the, but the thing is, Ashura, if you're if you are xenophobic. You're not, you're not caring about another person's issue. That's the thing. So some of them, and not all of them, but some of the people from those, those particular organizations do not care about immigrants. What's happening to internationals, what's happening to people who are immigrants, they don't care about those things. They care about what is happening to foundational black Americans. And if you're not a foundational black American, they don't care.
9: Uh, that That's, that's kind of fucked up though. And it's
0: um, not everybody. I feel like this has changed over the years and, um, you know, no, well, feel free to chime in. I do feel like this has changed because when I interviewed, um, Sandy Darity, I feel like, uh, Sandy Darity's take on reparations and where do we go from here? Was very different from what you're hearing from some of the organ- the newer organizations now. Go ahead, Noel.
7: Yeah. Um, some of the organizations that are re- fairly recently developed and they're pushing distinctly for um, what they believe to be the demands that are necessary for the descendants of slaves, which is reparations, are very narrowly focused. And so, as they try and change the tenor of the Black politics that have been so vapid in this country, I think they have neglected to see the more expansive um, approach to um, freedom fighting. And so a part of the problem that the ADOS movement encountered was, you know, there was a perspective of immigrant Blacks being at the forefront of the fight for reparations and with when you look at reparations as a linear um, based project that is due to this owed to the descendants of slaves in this country it doesn't make the way for immigrant blacks and so ados was simply saying if you are of an immigrant lineage your claim for reparations would be based on your national national origin so that if you are of Haitian descent or, you know, of Jamaican descent and you live in America, your claim would come through Jamaica or Haiti based on who colonized them, this, that, and a third, it wouldn't be America to, you know, do it. So cause early on there was a, a idea that reparations was simply based on race. Um, And the ADOS movement introduced the ideology in a different way that it was not race per se, but lineage. Because we had a a bigger influx of um, Black people of immigrant descent in the 60s when they changed the naturalization policy. Because up to that point, most of the Blacks in America, by and large, were descendants of slaves. And so you could use Black and... This and that interchangeably. But once we had more immigrant blacks in this country, then you, you know, the picture of just black people was really not the same. And, you know, a lot of the immigrant blacks have different experiences and investiture in this country because they come here seeking opportunity. They don't come here to partner with the descendants of slaves. And so it's been some fracturing in those movements and in that rapport that have not been worked out. And so that's where you get some of the pushback. And it's not necessarily that those movements are xenophobic proper, but that they're saying with respect to reparations, our interests can somewhat diverge, unless you understand that your um, quest for reparations comes from your national lineage and not from America. And that has been an issue, but you know, in the broad perspective of freedom fighting, the history has been, you know, that oppressed people around the planet understand and connect with each other and support each other's struggles for um, to resist oppression and find freedom. But that's a bigger project than the more narrowly defined reparations from whatever your country is. So that's well, a part of
0: yeah, my I just want to add though that some of it is xenophobic because I have seen some people from those groups calling uh African immigrants and Haitian immigrants tethers. I've seen them them attacking them and so so some of it is xenophobic. That's why the first time um when Cornel West announced and he came onto my show and we were talking about reparations, he said he spoke at the the ADOS convention, but he said he also told them he does not ascribe to the xenophobia. So that's another thing. So, this is something a, a constant pattern, right? Where you see oppressed groups oppress other groups, and that is a cycle that we need to break.
3: Well, um, you know, you know why they call them uh, tethers. No, because there is a, a, an attempt to for them to attach themselves to our. Uh, to, to reparations and it's being and you know, like that's why delineation is important. So they're telling them, I was like, no, you're, this is for us. This is not for you. You have to get
0: your reparations. Yeah. But Roger, that's not, that's not what has been said though. That is not what has been said. There's been a lot of offensive things that I've seen on social media where they have been attacking them, where they actually posted pictures of people and Africans said I'm so glad we don't look like this. No. Wow. Okay, well, I wasn't talking about that. <laughs> but
7: but yeah. but you know in deference it swings both ways because the reality is we have a lot of immigrant blacks coming with educations and experiences from Europe and they come over here and they're getting all the top spots that our people have worked so hard to achieve the opening for those opportunities. And again, it is the white supremacist state knowing that that will cause dissent if they pick immigrant-born blacks to play Harriet Tubman and Aretha Franklin. When we got people here who are fighting just as hard to get, you know, opportunities like that and they've been in this country for all their lives and here comes somebody from, you know, England and they're playing Martin Luther King. And it right. is offensive no, I- on a certain level because you are grounded in that tradition. And then you see, and when these people get these roles, they don't pay any type of lip service allegiance to the blacks from this country who have fought to make those opportunities possible. Cause let's be clear, no black people in mass were trying to immigrate to this country when the f- fires of Jim Crow were at their hottest. It's only once the wars had been fought and some things won. And then now you come, but you come seeking opportunity and you don't even, you know, show any respect to the people who made those opportunities possible. And again, in a real way, you do cut off, you know, American born black people from certain opportunities because the white establishment sees you as exotic. And they see your accents as prevalent. And so you move right in and we still find ourselves now being oppressed by another class of black. That's why there was some, you know, some level of animus.
0: But but I I think
7: I think
0: I think the thing that's important for people to know is that during during that time. The reason why we didn't have like people from Africa and Haiti immigrating to the U.S. is because that was actually against the law at that point in time. They couldn't immigrate here during that time. So that's that. Do
7: you think they would have wanted to if they could? Oh, well, folks Jim was catching Crow.
0: Hell. Well, but they did, did people? Did everybody know that? Because the thing is, Jim Crow was the Jim Crow laws were in
7: the south. But so here's if you the thing to the U.S. You didn't have to immigrate to the south. But America was racist through and through. They had racism up north and out west just like maybe it didn't look like it did down south. But it has always been here and very prevalent in all of these states. It wasn't compartmentalized just too because, you know, when blacks started migrating out of the south, they went into the Industrial Revolution and was catching hell because they were thought to be replacing white labor.
0: Right, and but so you, you know still that. had
7: those issues.
0: Right, but I've I've worked with international people for like a long time, and one of the things I will tell you is like they don't know what it's really like here until they come here. A lot, but of they sp-
7: come here seeking opportunity. Right, because
0: they're they're told that this is the land of opportunity, and that this is where you're you can live the American dream. But I've I've spoken to a lot of people from the international community that said that what they were told about this country is not true. That they, they right. were very surprised that it was the way that it was. Because even some of the kids that came from South Korea, they were just like, I thought America was what I saw on the in the movies and on TV. And then I get here and I realize, like, this is a very cold place. It's very, like, you really don't know until you come here to, like, live here. And I, I get what you're saying about people... Getting opportunities. But the thing is, especially even with the Hollywood example, that happens to every race in the Hollywood industry. There's a number of times, too, where I've seen this, where there have been British actors that portray famous white people in those movies as well. And I I don't understand why Hollywood does that either. But a lot of these actors that you see, not just the Black ones, a lot of these actors that you see that are that are white, that you think are a Amer- white American, a lot of them are from the UK. And you don't, don't know that sense. until you see them in an interview and you hear the accent. And that But here's to the a thing.
7: Lot. There's not enough white immigrants to displace the majority in this white country. So, yeah, you you do have Nicole Kidman and other people who come from other countries and they get roles, but that still does not displace all of the white actresses and actors when black people are getting so few roles as is if you get the role to play martin luther king that's it you know because there it's not like there are a lot of roles for black leads to play so th- it's a part of the, the the set of circumstances that's available if you have a big pie and you get some white actors and actresses coming from other lands yeah that's fine because we still got 90% of the pie left for the american born But for the blacks who get so few opportunities, when we see those few opportunities, you know, what would it mean to a black actress to be able to play like Angela Bassett played Tina Turner? We get one Tina Turner. We get one Lady Sings the Blues with Diana Ross. If you get um, what's the girl name playing Aretha Franklin, when we got people here who could sing that song book in their sleep, it's like, well, hold on. I Ain't mad at you, but you get and the the one guy who who's getting to play all of the ish the the black characters. It's like, wait, how you get to play Harriet Tubman and Aretha Franklin? How you get to play Martin Luther King? And and you just getting all the roles. But a part of that um, narrative is, you know, the powers that be find these immigrants easier to work with and more amenable to this because a lot of times the African-descended immigrants are coming from elite castes in Africa. So they bring a type of understanding, just like with the East Indians, they're coming from the Brahma caste. So, you know, they can relate to the elites in this country on a class basis that some of the American-borns can't. And that's why they get to move, because they're more confluent in those circles. So, but I hear your point...
0: Well, no, you know, I just because the the gentleman um, Daniel, uh, I forget his last name. Daniel, the guy right. who played who played Fred Hampton. Right. He, he grew up poor in the in the UK. Like he talked about his life story before. It's not, it's not the case with with everyone, but I, I will say like when we're talking about like people coming to the immigrating to the United States, one thing I can tell you from the student perspective. Most of the international students that come from that come to the u s to go to school they're coming from countries like China and South Korea and india and and so and then they come to school here and then they get their degrees and then they get a job here. but their parents do have the money to pay for because that's the thing you have to have the money to show that you could pay for all four years, so their parents do have the money to help them pay for all four years. But another thing too, especially living here in Boston, there are also a lot of white Europeans that have immigrated here as well, but you don't know that until you talk to them. You walking down the street, you think, oh, it's just white American person or whatever. But a a lot of, that's why they call Boston a hub, because a lot of them are also Europeans that came here for college and then they got a job after college and settled in the area. So it happens It happens all across the board. It's not just happening to, I get what you're saying, that it could be potentially taking opportunities from black people, but at the same time, this hap- is happening all across the board to all races. And I've heard this from people that work in the tech industry that said that they feel like the tech industry now, particularly here on the East Coast, they only wanna hire people from India.
7: Exactly. And Asia. Were, and yeah, because they were easier to work with. And by and large, they proved to be cheaper labor early on. But here's the thing. The, the only point I'm saying is the impact of immigration on a majority set versus the minority oppressed is going to re- resonate differently because the oppressed minority is has never been well served by this institution or this project of America from the first place. So anybody coming in who could potentially visually take our place and take it, you know, it does say something about this country that the first black president was half white and of uh, African lineage versus an African American who's been here for years. And then the first female and quote unquote black vice president is someone of East Indian and Jamaican lineage that says something with those two prime opportunities going to quote unquote black people whose lineage does not go back into the institution of slavery so i'm just yeah. saying that's the yeah, point there's, you know?
0: yeah there's that too I, I i understand that too i think that um i think that the, the difference is though even though there are there are those issues, I don't think this should resort to calling people names and. No, no, of, really
3: course.
9: of course not. Of course,
0: that that's my criticism. Like, feel I, like I
9: hear
0: because they're not what you are. And some of these, some of the people that Nick has debated with, like on Twitter, that will not come on, and he's argued with them about this issue. You go to their their profile page. They have an American flag in their bio, and they're against immigrants. They sound like black Republicans. And you
7: have some out there, but I agree that's not, a you know, there is no reason, you know, for the visceral xenophobic things. But, you know, again, you know, I feel like these situations are so um, fraught with, you know, energy to it is important to have these public discourses so people can reason out. Their true feelings and sometimes maybe the statements they make, you know, they'll be able to reevaluate them and see them in a different way. But
3: I. I remember um, a few years ago, I was going back and forth with um, Kim on her show when I was uh, uh, rock fending her. Okay, now. I really wouldn't expect to understand this because she's from Idaho and, you know, not too many of us in Idaho. Pretty much, but she said that she asked a Nigerian person about, "Hey, do you face me racism or something like that?" And she said he was like, "No." So, so then she shrugged her shoulders as in a way of saying, "Well, there must be something wrong with you." Okay, so a lot of times, black immigrants will be used as a shield to say, "Hey, I'm not racist behind a black person." You feel what I'm saying? So. That's another way how they how they pit
0: right different right. But Kim, but that,
5: each other.
0: Right. But that was a couple years ago, and Kim has been educated on that issue and has come around on that issue. So that's Great. the thing. That's what I'm saying. Like you have to you have she to, came you around have to on like Oh sorry. Yeah, she interviewed Marcel Dixon. You didn't see that?
3: That doesn't mean that she really came around on it. I mean, you know, she did you interviewed... watch the interview? Yeah, I, I watched it. I watched it again. Maybe I missed something, but...
0: Well, she's talked to me about it, so I've talked to her about it privately. Oh,
3: okay. Well, yeah, me, I, I mean, the speak.
0: thing is, not, not <laughs> everything... Yeah, not everything happens on camera sometimes. Uh, I hate you, I hate you. Um, but Marcel, Mar- one thing I will say about him, I don't agree with him on everything. He's against defunding the police. That shit is suspect to me. Like, he's he's against it. He said, we need more police. I was like, oh, hell no. Nah. <laughs> like that was, that was before, that was before he ran. A lot of people don't know this. He came on RBN back when we were FHL. He came on there. That was before he ran for office and he was brought on because there was a video that went up around on Twitter. It was viral and it was him confronting Jim Clyburn saying, you told us that yes. Joe Biden had our back. You remember that? Yes. So yeah. So they had um RJ and Nick had interviewed him and RJ and Nick were talking to him about like reparations and black struggle and stuff like that. And that was when it was revealed that he said, we want, we need more police. That's why I said, they sound like black Republicans. You got American flag in your bio. You say you want more fucking police. You say like you were, you against immigrants. I'm like, man, just just get out of here with the bullshit, man. Just, just get out of here with this shit. My thing is I support reparations a hundred percent. But a lot of the people that we have spoken to about this, it seems like to me, like they just basically want to promote capitalism.
5: They don't don't, know.
0: Right. But they don't want to fix any systemic issues. And the point that I'm trying to get across to people just throwing people money, which I think there should be cash reparations. But if you just give people money and you don't fix the systemic issues, those issues are still going to be inherently there. You have to fix fix the system and they don't want to do that part.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Just like when Noel was talking about, and I was saying the same thing too, about being single issue voters can be um, a strength and it can also be a weakness because you can't be like uh, against immigrants or whatever the case is, if you're not willing to have an issue on foreign policy. Okay. And understand why they're coming here. And how they end up here you know what i mean like you got especially if you're going to run for office you're going to have to you're not going to be just pushing like your one thing there's plenty of issues that's going to come up you know what i mean when when you are there's one thing i don't know if you you know being an activist that's one thing okay you could be like a single issue person you know but if if you're going to start running more people for office you're going to have to vote on more things than just reparations. You're going to have to vote on foreign policy. You're going to have to vote on taxes. You're going to have to vote on all of that stuff, you know, but. um,
7: Absolutely. And there is a difference, like you say, between activists who are advocating along the lines for one issue and creating the demand for it politically than for the politician who has to negotiate amongst all of these differing Mm -hmm. issues from different constituencies Mm -hmm. So there, but for a politician, you, it's easier to be for this and that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're an activist, you know, even activists, you know, build alliances and things. But I think it's important to hear how these issues are playing out in everyday workers' lives. Because if you are just an everyday working stiff, and let's say you in Mississippi working at a chicken processing plant, and then you get displaced by immigrants who are coming from south of the border, you may not be able to see the gravity and the broad spectrum of the whole issue that these people are arriving because of American foreign policy, this and that, because your bread and butter issue is you have been displaced from your job that pays your bills by this person who is being paid less, but he got your job. And that's the way it feels to them. So, you know, and again, that's why there needs to be broad organizations so that these issues can be discussed in different ways. Um, and so that people's understanding can be broad broadened. You know what I'm saying?
4: Absolutely. Well,
7: it's not a one-dimensional like, life we live.
0: Well, people have to understand is those same things were said about Black people during the 60s and the 70s, when a lot of people were moving Up north during the Great Migration, people moving up north to get those factory jobs. The same things were said about black people who came to get those jobs. The white workers were like, now they're bringing in people up here who are taking less pay. And that's another thing that some people may not realize. Yes, the black workers were still a part of the unions back then. But what they a lot of people may not realize is like they got less benefits than the white workers who were at those same factories under the union. And they had to work more hours most of the time and they got less pay. So that same that same discourse, actually, it happened here in Boston, too. There's an infamous Time magazine cover of a black guy getting hit with an American flag on a pole. By the way, that guy, that black guy is still alive and still lives here in Boston. He last time I checked, he was running the uh, Boston Architectural College, that same rhetoric. That is coming from like FBA and Ados that the immigrants are coming to take our jobs. That's the same thing that white people were saying. When you see that photo, that's the same thing they were saying. The black people are coming here to take
7: our jobs. So but we see, have to that's be careful. A, That's a different argument, though, when we're talking about all Americans. You're saying Americans from a different region coming to take your job, but the black Americans were American born. That's a different discussion than these people from a whole different country are coming. It's the same. It looks the same on the surface. But when you plow down into it, that was white supremacy on one hand and a xenophobic thing on the other. But this nation, each nation has an obligation first to its citizens. And so if we didn't live in such a racist place, then you would perhaps not have some of those arguments made based along the lines of race, right.
0: but you the, know, the, the, the escape but the American escape.
7: resources are meant for American people first. I believe that because it makes right. no sense for us to be having, like we say homeless, this and that. And then you bring in the Afghans and the, Iraqis and all this because of the role they played in supporting the war effort, but they get catapulted amongst the homeless in this country. It doesn't add up.
0: But and I could not-
7: see where they would feel a type of what would translate as xenophobia, but they're like, I've been here for generations. All my folks been here and y'all come from Afghan and y'all getting all this red carpet, what feels like red carpet treatment. That's just like the people in Chicago saying, you ship these immigrants up here and you put them in the neighborhoods where we live. You don't put them in the neighborhoods where the elite white people live because right. they're no. not going to have it. And they could shut it down before you get them there.
0: Well, no, they but- put them in, they put them in elite neighborhoods here in Massachusetts where the white people live. They, they definitely did that here. They put them in the Cape. They put them in Martha's Vineyard. They put them. So, but the thing, the thing is, is that. Know. No, they're, they're at Cape Cod. They're not kicked out. Oh, they're they're still here at Cape Cod. They're at the Cape. I can't afford a house on the Cape. Mm-hmm. So the thing the thing is is that this leads back to foreign policy. This Absolutely. is what I'm this is this is what I'm saying. This is why I keep saying foreign policy is domestic policy. Mm-hmm. If it were not for the U.S. interventions abroad, we wouldn't have this issue in this country. So when people say they don't want to focus on foreign policy, they don't want to talk about the wars, but you want to complain about the migrant situation, then you're not making, they're not making the connection. Mm -hmm. It's not like everybody that's fleeing here. It's not like they like, oh, I just want to do the American dream. These people are fleeing because their countries have been destroyed because of American interventionism. So that's, that's something I think that, that people do have to understand. The other thing is in reference to resources, this country has a lot of money we were just talking about this earlier. I told you the, U- the U.S. government gives Israel three point three billion dollars every year. We have plenty of money. This 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 uh, phrase that the politicians are toting around saying we don't have money for people to come here. We do have money for people to come here. The problem is the U.S. government has a bloated ass defense budget and they're willing to send three point three billion dollars every year to Israel. But they're going to tell you that they don't have money for us. So the, the point that I'm trying to make is that there is always going to be a scapegoat, always going to be a scapegoat. And Richard Wolf has talked about this countless times when he was growing up. It was like they blamed the black people. Then you switch from the black people to the Mexican people. After 9-11, people wanted to blame the Muslim people and the Arabs. Like there's always going to be a scapegoat. But that's to distract you from the inherent problem, which is capitalism overall. If we did not have capitalism, we were not in this corrupt capitalist system, we wouldn't have this issue. But people are always going to blame somebody. People blamed my generation. They blame millennials. It's the millennials' fault that the economy's bad because they're going around buying avocados and drinking (laughs) and stuff. I'm like, really? People really (laughs) just dumb to believe this in the mainstream media. They feed you this narrative. They put this fear into you. They say it's the Mexicans fault. It's the black people fault. It's so-and-so's fault because they don't want you to point your finger at the person who actually is responsible, the group that is responsible. And that's the billionaire class who hoard all this money and all the resources. And the majority of us are at the
7: bottom. They don't want you to focus on that. And I understand that. And I understand the elite penchant for controlling narrative and diverting the blame away from the decisions they make. But the one difference I hold is that this country, our relationships with this country and investiture in this country are different. And even though we may be oppressed across a number of different venues, there is a different investiture and obligation to the people who built it out. So, you know, we may all be oppressed and capitalism and racism is a nasty combination for everybody but everybody did not does not have a lineage that goes into the upbuilding of this nation so there is what i'm saying is there is a debt to some of us that is not the same to others and so i get it i understand what's going on and i think it's incumbent upon the different factions of the oppressed to understand their different perspectives but we are not the same. Our oppression, our blues are not the same. We all have them, but they're not rooted in the same things in this country.
0: That is that is true. Uh, go ahead. Sure. I'm sorry. I, I want to make sure I get through the. The rest of the callers, but go ahead. Sure. Sorry.
3: Sure. Oh, so we put them to sleep.
0: Oh, <laughs> Okay, um, and sure, Ashura, I'll invite you to speak and I'll go ahead and bring in um, DRK. DRK sucks. Is that what it is? DRK oh, sucks.
10: Disregard the account, it's Brady again. You know, we got to take progressive measures to promote progressive messages here on uh platforms as it is you understand
0: (laughs) okay Uh, but there's another brady here
10: is that you too yeah you can skip yeah you uh, you can skip him go straight to peter after me yeah okay go ahead it was just uh because sometimes i have connectivity issues i've been doing a lot of uh uh activism today and sometimes the nsa likes to just mess with the wires when you start doing stuff you know what i mean like so um i just yeah i signed up just in case something i dropped out of line on this profile but anyway um I'd just like to say that the demand for, I have a few things, I have a few little quick notes, but the demand for perfection is one of the biggest uh, roadblocks for progress, often, at least in my experience, um, and um, I would mentioned that um, we are the movement that we're waiting for, it's all of us just kind of sitting around, not really doing much every night, you know, there's things that we could be doing to actually get these goals taken care of. And so I'm I'm going at this from two different angles right now. I've got my own proxy party thing that I've got going on, which Dr. West is essentially the proxy party candidate by proxy because the proxy party is basically just me. <laughs> and so I could say like, hey, I like him. He's so I'm 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 backing up Dr. West, doing everything I can to support him just on my own as one person. I think people really underestimate what they're able to achieve as one person. Because I've got my iron in a lot of fires right now. and I've got a lot of stuff going on, and it's starting to work, you know? Like, all you have to do is put your nose to the grindstone and get it done. Um, we've got an anti-war song written. i got a platform written for the party. Um, we've got something new called Democracy Revolution. And we're about to get the 501c3 filed in the next week or month, hopefully, is the goal. Hopefully next week. If not by next week, then by the end of the month, we plan on having that filed. And so we're looking for anyone who might be interested in being a potential um, founding member, board member, regular member um, for what is essentially an update to democracy to just make it more direct and transparent using technology and just kind of a new system of organizing a new kind of protocol for democracy so that um, there's less need for representation and it's more direct and um, transparent, you know, so... um, we're building a website for people to um, post petitions, start ballot initiatives, post debates with each other. Um, and and other this is kind of a good and bad news at the same time. Um, Peter Thiel is going to integrate Colin with Truth Social, Donald Trump's platform, actually. So Are you serious? Up, get ready. That's the l- latest news that I've heard today, yeah. So heads up for that um we're gonna have wait
0: wait wait wait, I, I, wait are you serious
10: that could be misinformation but it's something that i heard from someone on call in today someone came in and said that he's actually going to be integrating it with truth social instead of rumble and i don't know if he got bad information or if that the, something has changed but that's just what i heard today from some random guy on call in
0: okay that would explain why rumble hasn't done anything with that yeah. okay. it
10: could be misinfo but um uh, yeah, it could be that uh, either way, the way I see it is that Colin is about to become kind of the wild, wild west of internet debate, you know, because there are no kind of rules here. You can, you can, you can say things without getting bananaed over here, you know. And so that's cool. And in other good news, because um, I think, honestly, our ability to have debates and discussions with the other side is their ultimate demise. Um, because you can't hide from facts, you can't hide from reality. You know We are on the winning side of history, regardless of anything, and so um, having that conversation, I think, is going to be good for us, as scary as it might be initially for some people. And uh, I'd like to mention Derek Rose is running for mayor here in Houston, Texas, and I think he'd be a good candidate to work with Delilah for an RBN chapter. Um, in fact, if uh, you're trying to get in contact with Whitney Webb, Uh, Derek bros would be a good channel to go through. Actually, I'd recommend him and I know we would all love to see you interview Whitney Webb. That'd be sweet. I mean, I'm sure you've been told enough times um, on that one but uh The new project we're working on is called democracy revolution. Like I said, we're looking for board members founding members regular members anyone who's interested in helping the meetings are open to the public and um, even if you're not interested in helping start something like that, then maybe you know someone who is, so just send people our way, and, um, like I said, every Thursday here on call, and actually, we're trying to do it leading up to your show, I, I tried to make sure that they didn't, uh, conflict our meetings with your show at night, so like, hey guys, you know, try to make it early so we don't conflict with Sab, so hopefully we'll be the, the lead up to your show Aww. on Thursdays regularly, but, uh democracy revolution is what we're going to be calling it i believe the name's still up in the air actually everything's still up in the air we're leaving the whole process like completely democratic so there's no one in charge of this project in fact we're working really hard on protocol to mitigate um megalomania and sociopathy within this network in a way that it's almost impossible for a nick brana situation or something like that to take over where the entire process and all the protocol; everything is subject to immediate change based on democratic decisions. You know,
3: sounds way. like a cooperative.
10: Yeah, yeah, It's really a structure with like uh, something like that. Yeah. Um, and did you working on the bylaws?
3: And did you so say that the
10: nonprofit structure? And did you say that you're running um, ballot initiatives? Oh, what did he got? Brady? Projects. Um, how do you say petitions. Uh, debates. Uh, and what,
3: I well, Texas, I know you're in Texas and that's not a citizen ballot initiative state. What, what um, are you trying to bring something up to try to get the Texas legislature to put a bill forth to amend your constitution so that you can become a citizen ballot yeah. initiative state for that's, amendments?
10: That's an example of one of the, pl- Things someone can choose to do with the platform. So, the cool thing about it is that within this project already, we've run into personality conflicts and conflicts of interest and the kind of things that normally derail a project. But the cool thing about this project is that even though I'm working on the proxy party, even though Dan is working on getting town halls in all 400 plus districts in America, and even though Peter, or I'm sorry, Jeff is working on the Democracy website, you know, we all have like different things and different goals from this but um, all three of us are able to utilize this platform and this organizational method or framework uh, for our own individual goals and so this is even uh, hopefully going to be a useful tool for people we don't agree with politically. So Hmm. it's like a planet.
3: It's it's like a planet that has not fully formed yet but it's still like a little bit of Dust swirling
10: around in space, That's that like a has not a proxy form of democracy. It's like a new form of democracy, democracy updated to the age. No, of no, I understand that. I, I just, I just mean Whoa.
3: in terms.
0: Of okay, process. Roger. Either your mic is really loud, or Brady's mic is really low. Uh,
10: I could. It's probably me. Um, okay, I apologize. Is <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, essentially, this is just an update uh, for democracy because you know, democracy used to happen in a forum in ancient Greece and that's kind of where there was like a protocol and a set of rules there was you know a, a way that democracy was done in a fair open way in the public where everyone can see it you know so it was transparent that transparency was there and so jeff started working on his project called democracyforum.org which was a digital version of like a democratic forum was the general idea And so we've kind of taken that idea and expanding it into democracy revolution now with all three of us working together and hopefully more of us um, in the next meeting. We just had our fourth meeting today. We have some more people interested. Case in particular, um, please join us. Become a founding member and um, work together on the mutual aid party. I mean, the mutual aid party could absolutely use something like this for tickets and everything else. I mean, maybe that can be integrated into the website, you know. Um, but anyone who's interested at all, and even if you're not interested, just feel free to share the idea with anyone who might be. And uh, I'm working on, of course, music projects right now as one person. Does, I wrote an anti-war song, you know, find a creative thing you can do. I'm working on local filmmakers. Y'all going to like this. Y'all talking about the the brutal history that never gets reported in movies in our culture. And so I would really like to start making movies about the brutal American past, you know, and um, there's a lot of local filmmakers that are totally down and about it. And um, so if anyone has any, like, script ideas or if you want to do some script writing or uh, if you want to act even, maybe potentially, we can anything. Don't. You know, um, anything at all. Don't remind me. We're kind of working. Now I was just saying, don't remind
3: me. I, I got into a, a filming by accident one time. <laughs>
10: People started yelling at me a lot of fun. I, I did some uh, <laughs> background action for like uh, HGTV, Home Clippers or whatever, it was, a, it was an absolute blast. Anyway. Um, yeah, it'd be great to see those movies happen and make that enough of a project that you actually up the bike. And so, tr- social. Yeah, talk about that integration. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be working on a transparency tribunal is part of this new kind of digital format. I want to have, like, a digital space for us to have debates and, like, have progressive vibe checks because I feel like one of the big problems I've run into as an organizer and trying to, try to get things done um, is that people will come in and just do everything in their whole power to derail, delegitimize, insult, and Whatever you're trying to do, it's like, I swear to God, it's like someone's feeding them to do it. It's like their whole life is dedicated. Yeah, those to are called ops. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, well, I don't know. Okay. I honestly don't know if they're ops or if they've just made themselves useful, you know? But, um, we need a way of weeding people. We need a way to kind of, in a polite, you know, kind way, kind of mitigate that situation and kind of shake them out, so to say. And so that's why I put, put together the idea of a transparency tribunal as a way to solve internal conflicts. And uh, that's basically the gist of the idea and the kind of update of where we're at for this week. And so, I mean, um, I'm, you know, I'm just one person, but I got my iron in a lot of different fires and they might not all succeed, but one or two of them is inevitably going to do something. you know. And I think that, like I said, our biggest enemy is the demand for perfection and that uh, just doing anything in any right direction any kind of real tangible goal is what i consider to be real progress at this point in time you could set a real tangible goal and then cross mm. it off the list like that's what i like to see. you know that's what i call progress okay
0: so, all right brady you're you're really quiet like your your volume is really really low
10: i keep forgetting that I apologize. okay y'all got the gist of it though. y'all got the gist i'll pass the joint to peter But uh, I appreciate you guys, like, you know, anyone who's interested in helping out. Okay, great.
0: Let me move on to um, Peter. I want to try to get through the callers before I have to go, because I I do have an early start. Um, Okay, Peter.
11: Hello. uh, What's up? go ahead and unmute. Can you hear me okay? Hello. Can you hear me okay?
4: Yes. Oh,
11: cool. So I I used uh, your clip on uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy. And uh, I uh, for for my call- calling episode, and uh, I added that uh, because he's ca- uh, he claimed he is a America First candidate, so the original America First is anti-Semite, because they actually they will not support uh, the policy to support Israel today. Also, mm-hmm. the America First also is anti-immigration; they will not welcome Vivek. Uh, Ramaswamy's uh, parents or grandparents to immigrate to the United States. So it's kind of ironic. He is running as uh, America first candidate.
0: No, uh, he's he's just very contradictory.
11: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because uh, I think uh, uh, Brianna Joy Gray caught him like uh, talking from both sides of his mouth, basically. And, uh, you know, I think theoretically, by claiming yourself to be America first, you will not get involved with the, with a foreign conflict that so easily because America first is against the U.S. involvement in the Second World War, and that they can care less about Holocaust, and uh, and that they will not al- allow immigration, uh, especially non-white immigrants into the United States. And you
4: tell
11: them, Peter. Yeah, I mean, I I, <laughs> I saw your YouTube clip. I was like, yeah, I need to expand that a little bit, so I did it on calling just add that to just he's you know really talking from both sides of his mouth and uh, you folks talk about reparation earlier I I'm not so optimistic for two reasons one is I do see a very strong divide first of all is that I have learned recently from professor Joro Horn that the freed African Americans after the Civil War participated in genocidal actions against Native Americans together with the white Americans. So it it it, 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 it disappointed me a great deal when Cornell West in his campaign page never mentioned reparation for Native Americans, just reparation for African Americans.
0: No, that, it actually nope, that's not what the campaign platform says.
11: Okay. I did a, a proxy debate with Brady <laughs> I think I studied the his page uh campaign page uh, he did not mention Native Americans when he spoke about rep, uh, reparation on his when is the campaign. last
0: time you looked at the campaign page
11: uh that's when I had a it's on calling episode I have a proxy debate with uh with Brady uh, Brady being the uh, dr Cornell West <laughs> and I be myself I call the people's Justice party and the uh, so, uh, another divide is this i have heard uh, already you guys have to briefly talked about it. there's a huge divide between pan-africanism and the african-americans basically uh what Mal- malcolm x has advocated what the uh, people's uh african people's socialist parties advocated is a, is not uh uh being practiced meaning that Reparation only for the African-American, but not for the African countries. That's your ancestral nations.
0: Hold on one second. Hold on. Mm
11: -hmm.
0: I'm looking at his website right now. Because see, I know, because I went through all of these. Mm -hmm. Under racial justice, it says establish a land back commission to explore and address brutal land theft from attempted genocide of and broken treaties with indigenous people.
11: That apparently is not the same Campaign webpage. I looked. Yeah, I, you know, I, th- I
0: think you're looking at something else.
11: Oh, he. I'm. But he is a his because uh, that's he's still with the Green Parties. I know he switched.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I think that, you're. I think you're looking at old information. You should be looking at CornellWest2024.com.
11: Uh, that is uh. uh I I'm pretty sure that's uh, accurate because uh. uh it's his face he made a speech in that and i believe there. it's not a long page it's like only four or five bullet points kind of uh what you know that's
0: all that's old that's okay. really old like this is the the campaign his uh policy platform um it has one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven 12, 12
11: sections. Okay, that's a m- more, uh, t- uh, t- almost double the, the 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 titles I remember I saw, and if I'm, yeah, but and this, I yeah, this I, been I, around for this been around for a
0: while now.
11: Well, I definitely believe he. I mean, the fact that he changed out of a Green Party, uh, uh, it's uh, it already, you know, give people, uh, I guess, a doubt about his. Uh, whether he's a pretender or an actual contender, and uh, I'm not sold on Cornell West. Uh, no, I'm sold on uh, 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 RFK Jr. Because uh, he left
0: the Green Party.
11: E- correct. I I think uh, he's not. He is. Uh, what did you say? Oh, also the Peter Dow uh, thing. Uh, I'm not so into the electoral po- politics because uh, I'm not big on politicians and uh, uh, you know. I don't think we'll lose much if uh, Cornell West fold his uh, campaign because uh, he, like Jimmy Doe has said, he showed his uh, intellectual inferiority in front of uh, Anderson Cooper.
4: Who wait, is a minute, a slow- wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute.
0: I'm sorry. Go ahead. I- I'm
4: sorry.
0: Here's what I'll do and here's what I'll not do. Here's what I'll do. I will make critiques about Cornell West campaign that I feel are substantial critiques and I have evidence to back up. What I will not do is I will not sit here and insult Dr. West's intelligence. So what, what I don't like what you said there, Peter, is that you just basically said that a Black academic is intellectually inferior.
5: That is you a sure?
11: problem oh i understand uh, I, but he like jimmy door he's just very upset with the uh, cornell west i i'm in the who same boat cares, with peter
0: i'm so i'm sorry who okay, gives a fuck? who cares who cares
11: i think voters do
0: yeah but the, these are not the same people do you realize that do you realize who is watching that show and who supports dr west the people who support dr west aren't watching jimmy's show. I sincerely hope, Peter, I sincerely Mm -hmm. hope you are making your decisions based on what you see and what you feel and not because somebody that you watch says certain things. I sincerely Uh, hope.
11: I watched both. uh, Also, he's a debate with uh, 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 Alan Dushwitz on Sean Kennedy. I'm also not impressed with the Cornell West performance. What does this...
0: but you, but that's totally fine. You cannot be impressed with someone's in performance. What worries me is the fact that you just said that someone who is an academic, who is a black man, you just said that he is intellectually inferior.
4: Cornell
0: West has more knowledge than you and me combined, and uh, I, I sincerely disagree. question that because I, I, I know I really do not think that mm-hmm. you would make that same statement if Cornel West was a white man sitting in that seat and that very much it rubs me the wrong way number one don't ever call black people inferior period
11: I said worse you, things you way off the
0: I'll, mark that, that well, shit hits close to home let me be very clear Peter that mm-hmm. shit hits close to home and that's the same type of shit that racist white people said to black people back in the day when they called them the n-word
11: Agreed. Uh, well, I I have never I, I know I am never involved with slavery or racial discrimination. I actually uh, I was fired by a Kenyan, which is okay. I'm I never hold any grudges against any race, so I will set that record straight. And uh, because I do I see that when I saw Doctor West's uh, page, I I I I might be wrong. I may be looking at the wrong page. I prepared it for. A proxy debate with Brady. He will be the Dr. West. I will be someone else. I I did my attack mode, devil's advocates, against Cornell West. In the proxy debate recorded, published on call-in. Okay?
0: Peter, I'm sorry, but listen, there is no you may have looked at the wrong thing. I've been covering this for quite some time. You were looking at the wrong thing. I don't know what you were looking at. That must have been like the the Green Party website or something. Yeah. But that, that is website isn't. E- that website yeah. has been down for quite some time now.
3: Okay. Okay. I understand that, Peter. Mm-hmm. So before you mentioned about um, uh, freed blacks, freed American freedmen participated in uh, genocide with uh, indigenous people. Two indigenous people. Okay. I haven't seen anything. I looked that up, but do you know that there were some indigenous tribes that held blacks as slaves as well?
11: Yes. Uh, by the way, it's not me saying it. It's another Gerald. Uh, sorry, uh, Gerald, Gerald Horn. Horn. I
3: understand Gerald Horn. Gerald Horn. I got it. I got it. I understand that.
11: And okay. I did not even know this. I just learned this like literally like two weeks ago. Uh, he did. He has a club. Uh, he has a group of American Marxists. And he's teaching them about the, what the word white means and all the, I did not know about that part. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned during my proxy debate with Brady about, I did not see the reparation for Native Americans. And uh, then I heard.
3: I put the the link in the um, thing earlier. Just to let you know. Um okay. for, for the platform. So mm-hmm. you might want to just check that out real quick. Sure. But I put it in before when you and Sabrina were talking. So okay. just
5: scroll
11: down. We'll do. We'll do. So so on the reparation, I am a believer in reparation, but I believe it will not happen until the day that the 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 uh not just the the government of the US but the the older uh, traditionally colonizing nations agree to, uh, uh, to do reparation for the African nations also. And in fact, uh, the past German administration, the one before Schultz, they actually offered like 2 billion euros to one African country for their reparation. And that African country actually had a debate in their legislature to whether to accept that or not. And I see a good trend in that regard, but I believe the American African Americans' reparation would not happen uh, without the international version of it. And but well, right now, I, from my communication with uh, my African American friends, they all have told me there is a serious divide in that. It's not like back in the six, 1968 Malcolm X time, when he traveled outbound uh, outside the U.S. And open up his eyes. Most of the, uh, all Americans, uh, mostly they are just domestic. They don't look uh, globally. So that's the f- second thing, because you guys talk about reparation. My main thing I want to talk about is that, is that I would love if you could do a, a, a journalistic work on a case in Philadelphia, which I'm going to do a calling episode tomorrow, is that the Third Circuit Court has said the NSA, warrantless Surveillance, can be used legally to predicate criminal investigations of people. Oh,
3: this
11: and this uh, was the
3: Supreme Court that just decided on this?
11: No, it's just the Third Circuit Court. It's a repeat oh. of, uh, to, for me, it's this. Actually, I shared with a, a Jewish lawyer, a, a friend of mine, and uh, because it has some implication. Imagine if the wider the war broke out between Israel and Hamas. And it became uh, Arab nations against the Israeli government. If there's a wider, the, and the U.S., of course, we already have two battleships there to conquer the Arab nations, the brown na- uh, the brown people, right? If that actually happened, remember the internment of Japanese? Can we intern Muslims in this country? Or Arabs? If we, we have a war, we, we, we need to help the Israeli government. So the Third Circuit Court just decided in May of this year that the FBI FBI can use the results of NSA surveillance without the warrant and then uh, uh, predicate an investigation and file indictment. And the Third Circuit Court said, we will not give you any constitutional remedy because this is for national security. So I
4: wasn't.
11: I'm sorry.
3: They can well, just looking at the the whole thing, they can do that. They can take you to court and all that stuff. This case can still fall apart. The government's case against you can still fall apart, even with the charges, even with all of this and all of that. At the end of the day, it can still fall apart. I've seen I've seen the government lose cases against the kingpin drug dealers for overstepping their bounds by throwing a whole bunch of charges and stuff like that i'm just saying that as it plays out as each of these cases plays out in court that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win they just the government's just trying to stack so many cases against said person to try to throw something
12: at the wall and make it make it stick
11: yeah that that is true uh, you, it's going to talk uh, cost you money. You, uh, you, uh, you will not want to sure. be uh, the. The thing is this: ten years ago, when Edward Snowden, I think it's ten years ago, when Edward Snowden disclosed the NSA massive collection of a so-called the metadata. Remember that. So now the Third Circuit Court actually say yes, those metadata can be used to go after Americans. And so the reason I, w- I want to call you is that I want I would love if you could do some digging in that because. Uh, it's actually a serious matter because it shows that what uh, what Edward Snowden did is for the benefit of all Americans. It's not just for any racial group. So I think well, he did a selfish act, and uh, and this is what I want to kind of uh, uh, bring br- uh, bring bring to your attention.
3: Well, you could do the digging and just present it to her.
11: Uh, I will do a show tomorrow from uh, the Independence Hall of uh, Philadelphia. Because I have to fix my truck in the morning, so while waiting for my truck, I'm going to do a podcast from uh, using calling. Uh, just talk about you know if the founding father says you cannot do unreasonable search, uh, say in 1776. Well, in 2023, the Third Circuit Court, which is right next to right next to the Independence Hall, said no, it's okay. The government can do unreasonable search. It's for national security. We'll, su- we'll see what the Supreme Court says. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. I actually, I found out ACLU is on that case. I'm very surprised. The case, they did not go to the U.S. Supreme Court saying
3: the government cannot do this. I think the reason being is because this is an anti-government Supreme Court. They're pro-corporate, but they're also anti-government.
11: anti Yeah. So, so I just want to bring uh, out two, because I'm going to do one tomorrow at the right outside the Independence Hall. I would just I will, I will, you know, uh, because it is quite interesting uh, that uh, right next to the, to the, where the Constitution signed, uh, ratified, the Third state Court says, no, 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 if it's a national security, unreasonable search is off the table. There's no remedy for that. <laughs> and, actually, and also, I'll just read the one sentence from the Course decision, and uh, just you guys can enjoy that. Just one sentence, okay? Just one second, and I'll, I'll, I'll be done. Uh, the third sugar says this not all rights have remedies, even when they are enshrined in the U.S. Constitution. Period. Just one sentence they are that's, enshrined, but you don't have a remedy. That's,
0: <laughs> that's that, interesting. I,
11: that is exactly what they wrote. I call them judicial white privileges. They will twist the constitution to fit their narrative. Because
5: well, if you yeah. say it's
11: not there's no remedy, then just don't say it's enshrined. Just say it's an aspiration. It's for whites only. There's no rights for the blacks, no white rights for the Native Americans. Mm. Right?
3: I don't so, I don't believe when you say, uh, as far as what you were saying before about, oh, we're not going to get reparations until everybody else is, is uh, across the world and all that different type of stuff. When people, just going back to what you were saying before, when there's been other groups that got their version of it without having this mass all in from everybody in the world. I think that's uh, just a belief that you have. Well-
11: Plus, the U.S. Supreme Court already struck down the affirmative action, which I believe is a form of a reparation.
3: No, it
0: no. Is not. no, it's not. not, it's
11: not. And it's uh, based on
3: race. They've they it down because it violated the 14th Amendment because it's based on race. That's the reason why we say reparations has to be delineated based on lineage. But the affirmative
0: whole- action is also based on gender. And this is the other thing a lot of people may not realize guess who benefits from affirmative action the most
11: female white women white women yeah. white women. i know that yeah Hillary Clinton yeah oh you we all know the 14th amendment is actually specifically for freed black people it's not for, for anyone five. else 13th right. 14th uh, and 15th 13th yeah. 14th and 15th
5: yeah
11: both are you know they are for freed blacks and uh but who used those uh 14th amendment the most the white lit- 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 litigants, yeah, corporations, right? So, no, I'm sorry, I don't need to drag, uh, I don't mean to drag it out. And uh, yes, uh, my, I apologize if I offend, offended anyone. I, I mean no offense to anyone or any race. Yeah, just don't call
0: the calling black people intellectually...
11: Inferior. Inferior. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Appreciate it.
0: Okay, bringing in uh Linda. Case, I invited you to uh, speak. What's up, Linda?
13: Uh-oh. Uh, I guess what I was just listening to. But, um, yeah, so I had just wanted to kind of comment on a couple of things. Um, so with your uh, the show you were doing in terms of the squad, you know, getting primaried and how, you know, I guess just thinking about, how APAC specifically is behind, you know, maybe trying to push some of these like uh, primaries that will happen. I don't really feel sorry for them at all. I just think at the end of the day, if they were actually doing something for their constituents in their districts, and if they had not maybe so closely aligned themselves with the Democratic Party, then maybe this would not really be an issue. Because I think part of the problem is that when politicians get to Washington, D.C., they forget that, you know, you still have to represent your constituents in your district at the end of the day, you still have to make sure you are closely aligned with them. So that way, when it comes, comes back to, you know, your reelection bid, you know, in the next, you know, what, next year, next two years, whatever, that you will have the chance of being reelected. But even then you're a public servant. So ultimately your goal should be to serve the public. And let's say if you don't get reelected, oh, well, it is what it is. Um, Then hopefully the next person that will do what they're supposed to do. But I, you know, no one's owed, uh, a guarantee that, oh, you're going to keep your seat. You have to fucking work for it. You have to actually fight fight for that, right? And so, you know, I think if APAC has the ability to throw all this money into primary challenges, and that means these 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 folks were, like, weak. You were a weak-ass politician to begin with, meaning you didn't do your job effectively while you were in office. And if that's the case, then I guess you deserve to lose your position if that's truly what it is, so.
0: Mm. that's you That's know, a I mean, really interesting point.
13: Yeah, I, I really feel that way. now, And I will say this, though. I think the thing that's very interesting is that APAC. I do think they're very dangerous, um, their influence, because I find it fascinating how um, I was watching, I think it was The Hill Rising earlier today, and they were talking about, maybe it was yesterday, but about how Thomas Massey, like the Republican representative who clearly publicly made it, like was kind of going back and forth with, um, I guess, I guess Israel, whatever, but in terms of like how he was not going to support, you know, the bill for, for funding, you know, to provide funding to Israel and, you know, for their campaign against Gaza. But I find it interesting how you have also these white conservatives who, you know, they're real quick to be clear about what they will not support, especially if it's something like, you know, with regards to like that particular issue. But do we see APAC trying to get a primary challenger for Thomas Massey? Like, I haven't heard of that yet. Um, so I am kind of curious about, so I do think there is something to be said about, it just seems like they are really hyper-focused on when it, are, it is people of color who express dissent that that is Mm. something you're not okay with specifically because i think just generally speaking if you're in these political spaces it does appear if you are a person of color who expresses dissent with you know the overarching perspective then somehow you are deemed to be too problematic because you won't fall in line therefore we gotta get you up out of here because i guess you're not like a good enough negro or a good enough whatever background you're from, to just go kinda gonna of go along to get along, but you want to instead challenge the status quo. That's perceived to be problematic, I think. Unfortunately, which I think that's fucked up. Um and I do think maybe that's the stance that not but but I will say then again, if we've all known for so long that you know, this idea of so much money from these packs was a huge issue, like with regards to campaigning, the financing of campaigns. Then that is something where if you know that you are someone who was like, fuck the system, I wanna sit here and be able to really be for the people, then this is a stance that A lot of these, you know, progressives when they got elected, I don't even feel like some of these these people really truly progressives because you can come in as progressive, but like you know, are you truly now just a corporate Democrat based on you know how you've been moving and shaking since you've been in Congress? So I actually think that label needs to get stripped away from some folks because that's just not applicable. Because I have to even question: Have you really seen any substantive legislation that? You know, that the working class or that we've seen folks really benefit from since there was this, you know, uh, push for some of these progressives who got into Congress. Like, what have they really stood for and what has been able to stick? Like, I have not I can't really quite think of anything, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. Um, exception of briefly, maybe when, you know, when uh, Biden did pass that child tax credit, you know, like kind of as part of the like legislation for um, the additional funding for like the COVID funding, but that went away. That was not a permanent thing. So, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know what's, what. I can't think of any legislation because I think that's the other problems that Congress has been about doing nothing for a long time. And that's been the larger issue is that we have folks who are in Congress who they, I think that's why duopoly is so problematic is that they're in here trying to give you the illusion that they're they're out here fighting, but really they're just, it's like, it's spectacle. It's all about theater. It's not really them actually sitting here trying to get shit done. And I think that's why it just needs to stop being so antagonistic and whatever happened to foreign coalitions on what you can agree upon. Because even though, yes, I can see myself as someone who I'm actually more so independent, but I'm left leaning. I'm an independent person, but I'm left leaning politically. However, There are certain things I can respect and agree with that maybe a conservative might be wanting to push forward in terms of like what was going on with COVID and how there was a huge cover up regarding that. So if there's legislation that would be to support, hey, let's get down to the bottom of like, how did this even happen? I would support something like that. And I wouldn't be opposed to like crossing the aisle to support that. But I think we have seen it, especially once Trump got into office, it became, and of course I think with Bush, there was some of that too, but there's been like this complete like lack of understanding of how politics really works, where, no, you have to be willing to cross the aisle to get shit done. That's just common sense. Like, you have to be willing to do that. Because if you're not willing to do that, then that's why we constantly see all these stalemates, we constantly see how the government's getting shut down. Because, okay, well, people can't sit here and actually form a coalition in some way to get things done. Or what they're willing to form coalitions on might be, like, the military-industrial complex or something else, but not something for the American people, which I think is problematic. So...
7: But I think that's precisely the reason why this empire is in decline, because as Eric has said in his demands, you know, at the top of the list is finance campaign reform, because if you can't get money out of politics, you subvert the whole entire process eventually. And so what we have is a situation where our elected officials, as soon as they go through the turnstile, They become focused on getting reelected and raising the tremendous amount of money that it takes to get reelected. And that makes them vulnerable to whatever big money donors come around. And that's a part of the reason why I agree with you that the influence that APAC and um, the Anti-Defamation League and DMFI can wield is so dangerous is because they're focused on a very narrow issue and they can potentially get people unelected or people elected who are going to be right for that particular issue, but they may be hell on earth for the rest of the issues that people have to have legislated. That's why I think it's so dangerous because you can get the devil in hell incarnate because all they know is they have to be right on that issue with you and the money will come through. And then they, you know, they're just horrible on all the other spectrum of issues. So, Money is subverting the entire thing. And to your point, it's to the place now where people won't cross the aisle. People don't find, you know, bill bridges or alliances or this and that. It's all about money and who going to get me elected or who can get me unelected. And the whole process is going down the drain. And if you, the only way you can get representation is that you put a wall six foot thick between that and these moneyed interests. I think one of the pivotal pieces of decisions that came from the Supreme Court was Citizens United because corporations are not people and money is not speech. But when you allow that type of ideology in the body politic, it distorts the whole thing. And so those who the corporations have more money at their disposal to spend and, you know, between them and the PACs and this and that, Everyday voices don't have a chance and these elected officials could care less what happened to everyday people. That's why I say it really is indeed a plantation nation, because at the end of the day, all they need you for is your labor and moving in with AI and all that. They're going to need your labor less and less. And I think the situation is going to become very volatile because you're going to have the divide between rich and poor become so great that there is no middle ground thought to prevent the society from collapsing because people just simply don't understand each other anymore. And I think we're racing to that place. How can you have a nation that spends billions upon billions in militarism at the same time saying, oh, you can't have health care, oh, you can't have housing, or this, that, and the third... And that's because the interest of the elite is about foraging for resources and protecting the resources that they have. But they could care less about whether you're healthy or not. That's just not their interest. And I just think that's why I think we're in a really, really bad place.
13: Yeah, I definitely agree. I do think we're mm. in a really bad place. I think what I what I do feel, though, is that But even with APAC or any of these packs that are putting all this money into you know, various election challenges. I also don't, while yes, we know at Citizens United that that did basically support this idea that these corporations are people, therefore, like, they have the ability to then, like, fund these campaigns, which, yeah, I do think that needs to get overturned. Um, I think what is also a bit interesting is that, you know, because of just how, I don't know if I want to say hopeless or just because you have folks who the everyday working class person is so concerned with trying to make ends meet, maybe i don't know if it's just the lack of engagement with the political process and the lack of understanding as to how as to how especially on the local level how that can truly really make some sort of improvement in their lives based on policies that can get passed based on whoever they choose to elect that i do question i do wonder well couldn't the influence of some of these, this pack money be you know maybe like averted in some way if the focus truly was really on When politicians, yes, you can get elected to whatever national office, whether it be Congress, the Senate, whatever, but you still have to also be able to directly connect back to your constituents and really be able to, for them to know who you are and also what you're doing for them. Like, what are you doing to make their lives better? And I think that is actually what I feel has been missing from politics for quite some time is that you don't really see politicians speaking to people with regards to this is truly what I'm doing to make your life better. Because I think if that were happening a bit more, especially at the, you know, with, when we're talking, especially with Congress, like, like, you know, what happened to town? Like, I don't, I mean, I know we do, there are town halls, but whatever happened to maybe, maybe some kind of form in which, oh, that is something that is very consistent where you have someone who's checking in the, the politician politician who checks in with the constituents consistently who, okay, you're accessible if your, politi- if your constituents reach out to you. Because I feel like if that's the case, then actually, your you sh- that kind of money that a pack of funding could be funding and trying to put into your challenger, that actually should be able to be subverted in some way because you would feel like, hey, I know what my politician is doing for me, or at least I see they're doing something to benefit me. Plus, there would be the name recognition of that politician who's already been elected. So I think that's why I do have to kind of question, well, what really has been the effectiveness of the squad or of whatever they've been doing here? Because it just seems like. There, there isn't much that they've been doing. Um,
7: they haven't been effective at all. They haven't even leveraged the power that they could have as a collective unit, you know, in the Congress to move or at least take the stands that they could have taken. Because again, they're so focused on trying to stay in so-and-so's good graces and put on the, the look of a unified front and all of this. Yeah. And, I think the the really critical point you made is that everyday working class people are so busy trying to make ends meet that they really are, you know, divorced and distracted in a different kind of way from what's going on, especially in national politics. People just don't dial in at the level that this discourse is at anyway, because they're just busy you know, make so right. ends meet. And as long as they can get those things done, they're okay. And another thing that I've noticed that I think is really dangerous in these times is that the oppressed in a lot of ways have become oblivious to each other's suffering.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: And, you know, it's like you're you're laboring in isolation and that type of, you know, disaffection sets in and people just get to the point where i think people just really zone out because they're so overwhelmed and it seems like there is no help nowhere and this is either locally or um nationally and i think a big part of that has been the collapse of media we no longer have journalists basically who are trying to tell the stories glenn greenwald just did a piece where he said Because he found out that after he did the Edward Snowden papers and this, that, and a third, he and his husband in Brazil were being monitored by the Brazilian CIA. But he was saying, you know, we're at a place in our times where people have forgotten the role of journalism. And if you are not trying to expose the inner workings and, you know, misdeeds of the governing elite, you really aren't doing journalism. You may yep. be doing something because we the people, the everyday working class, we depended upon the media as the fourth estate to help us hold those elected officials accountable by exposing their misdeeds. But these days, as we can tell from this whole coverage with, you know, COVID all the way up to the occupation of Palestine, they're so busy being, you know, tools of the state manufacturing consent till people don't really even know what's going on because they're telling you one side of the story to make you feel and lean into a certain way and it's just now being disrupted with independent media and social media and yeah. and the you can tell that the media state is threatened by that because we see this big uptick in censoring yeah. so yeah. it's just the whole thing is really set against Anything
3: really democratic? And you have the, um, oh yeah, and and, and not just uh, Linda about people um, about oh yeah about the squad and all of that stuff like leveraging Medicare for all and stuff like that for the rest of us. Although mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to get people to change that to Tricare for all because you know uh, active duty servicemen and women yeah. get better health care than Medicare what? for all. It's called Tricare. Mm-hmm.
13: No, I I know I worked in the VA, so like I mean I yeah I mean the just a true publicly funded healthcare system, and so yeah I definitely think that is actually something that we would benefit from. I think collectively, if this entire country actually had that, so
3: right and but 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 also even going to more I guess the micro level, um, people in their districts. You know I mean I I know people in ocasio Cortez's district just just district stuff not even like the wider stuff just district stuff I don't really think they've been really feeling the change it just mm-hmm. even district wise you know what I mean so you know but but also with the with what Noel was saying about the um journalism a lot of times even though you do have people doing their job as journalists they bring in the partisanship you know like you'll take a look at let's say epic news or epoch mm-hmm. news or whatever the case is or or the guy uh james o'keefe okay yeah okay so you do investigative journalism all right? but you're only doing it on a partisan basis like look well, how bad the democrats are yeah. and then on the other side you get greg palace who who look who look how he does his investigative report it's all good but it's like look how bad the republicans are you know what yeah. i mean but yeah so we got that problem also in journalism
13: no i definitely agree with you on that i think the partisanship is a huge problem um and i do think that it would be nice if you know i think with journalism which who you know it seems like really the folks who are doing what they're supposed to do are more so at at the forefront in terms of independent journalists like i saw a couple people putting in the chat like glenn greenwald and matt taibbi so, and also, you know, if I'm thinking about like, you know, I think Abby Martin was, well, she's, I guess, yeah, she is technically independent, Abby Martin. Um, but like, I think the folks who are truly kind of independent and who are on the ground doing things um and just kind of calling shit for what it is in terms of like, you know, their reporting, I think that's important. And I think unfortunately, because it is independent versus like, oh, the everyday person has access by just turning on their TV or something, or even now, like you know, with like Substack. Well, that's if you can afford to pay for the Substack. Why, I mean, we're gonna be paying for like all these different people's Substacks, you know. So, it I do think even with that kind of high level journalism, part of the problem is that it's not necessarily accessible sometimes. Um, some of it may be depending on how you're like, you know, if let's say you're able to access something on someone's YouTube channel, but they're, but they're saying, but. Um, but there are plenty of people who, unfortunately, can't pay for various substacks to get access to what some of these folks have, to, like what their perspectives are. And I think that's also problematic, unfortunately. So.
7: And remember, it was Bill Clinton who liberalized the ownership of media outlets, because mm-hmm. up until that point, there was specific restrictions on, on the ownership of media outlets. And then here comes Bill Clinton. So we had this uber consolidation and now it's all corporatized and so again we go back to money being the root of the problem because you can't get that access if the premier journalists such as um, Max Blumenthal or Glenn Greenwald or these people were given national access we'd be having a totally different narrative a totally different narrative yes I
3: think that was Ed Markey that, that wrote that telecoms 1996
0: telecom act that sounds like something he would do he's he's good on some things like sometimes he he showed well, that wasn't a
9: good
13: thing though <laughs> oh um that yeah that's what led to the oh, sorry i was
0: reading something um that that sounds like something that like i said he's he's not consistent he's wishy-washy like sometimes he's good on some issues and sometimes he's not good on um issues i want to make sure I, I bring in case and then i want to bring in um the last caller because i have to head out in about 15 minutes uh Wait, what's going on case really
13: quick on the reparation
12: yeah. i'll come back to you uh, linda okay. okay what's going on everybody this is dj case study QB back at it again on the savvy savs network fresh off on the, the ones boat. and twos on the ones <laughs> that was for roger you guys all the people that's new, that was an inside joke for Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Much love to y'all. Thank you for the birthday wishes, Sabrina. I appreciate it. And I, yeah, literally got off the boat, and then I'm here at work, and I'm super tired. I need a vacation for my vacation, but it's all good. <laughs> um, So, yeah, I'm getting caught up with the news. I didn't have Wi-Fi for five days. I was out to sea, at sea. So... <gasps> I'm just looking around and seeing what the heck is going on. Like, I saw a headline that the new Speaker of the House did pass a bill in the House. And then um, it has you. I don't know. It has Ukraine spending. But then it's also taking money away from the IRS, which is stupid because the IRS was actually going after the rich and they were actually getting money. So, like, is that true? Did anybody hear about that?
0: I didn't
7: I didn't hear
12: about that story yet. Yeah.
7: Okay. I, I, yeah. I did. And he, they did manage to pass that piece of legislation delivering, you know, the 14 billion for Israel, but they wants to cut and and essentially they were cutting um funding that was set aside for the increase in the IRS to fund the the amount going to Israel. But, of course, you know, the Biden administration has said, you know, that's going to be a no-go um, because they needed the expansion of the IRS to, as you say, you know, build the infrastructure to do more accountability in terms of mm-hmm. taxation and stuff. Yeah. But, th- you know, so it's just more song and dance.
12: But, yeah, but her heard they- I mean, it's a small amount of money, but I heard they already um, were able to get claw back or get money about a hundred million dollars from um, some of the wealthy that they would usually get away with it. So um, the other thing is um, I saw uh, Nina Turner. I-, I listened to her um, podcast with Bree and I-, I was pleasantly pleased to see one of the things she's working on is um, ballot initiatives. I know roger's I'm going to be happy with that with her new organization who's
3: working on ballot initiatives
12: hello somebody yeah. that's one yeah, of the I'm things covering that, mm-hmm. go ahead
0: i was just gonna say i'm covering that tomorrow okay yeah because so, so, i, I listened mm-hmm. to it today as well like i said i'm covering it tomorrow you?
6: <laughs> and then
12: the, the last thing before i let you all go i thank you for the time is that when I was on um the cruise the the person that attended our you know every night we go to dinner with the fam- i went with the, my family and um the person that the waiter he was talking to us about um his experience on the ship and he said basically he was doing a five month tour and he said he gets no breaks and my my family now all the the waiters they all come from different parts of the country so like we had somebody from Bali, from Indonesia, from deaf people from all over the world, and like my parents or, or my family members, they were like, "Oh, isn't that nice that they're able to, you know, get a job and come on the ship and you know make money?" But I was like, "No, it's not good that they can't ever get a break." You know, it's it's a kind of a world race to the bottom where corporations can go to the most um, deprived or the most desperate places of the world and get people who, yeah, they're hard workers and yes, I'm glad that they're making a living other than starving to death, like where they are in their country, but we should have some kind of world standards where we raise the, the, um, the, the world standards as far as having a certain amount of vacation, family time leave, maybe even a, a world minimum wage. And, you know, that's one of the things I heard FDR's wife was uh, trying to work on. Um, and, and or maybe just context. have the workers own the company. <laughs> or just have the workers own the damn company so that they can decide for themselves, right? So um, it was it was a nice little conversation that I had with my family. Um, but that's that's all I wanted to talk about. But thanks again for the birthday wishes and I appreciate you all. Much love to you guys. Much love to the chat. I love nice. how you
3: put Case, okay. tell
0: people how old you turn. This is important.
12: The big four. yeah. Finally, <laughs> the big milestone. It's only downhill from here, baby. <laughs> the big four.
7: Oh, don't say that because you know I'm 60. <laughs> oh. But happy yeah, belated that. birthday. But you yeah. know what? In a real way, it is downhill because I'm telling you, these bodies just change. Mm-hmm. and and i'm starting to get aches and stuff mm-hmm. in places i didn't even know i had yeah i know i, I sneeze
12: now and my back hurts so i totally hear what you're saying noel <laughs> yeah, you gotta get, get your omega-3 that's what i need get the inflammation out the the joints not totally but much love to you sabza not gonna take it too much and um i, I heard brady earlier was talking about some stuff so that sounds interesting brady I'm working on a 501C4 uh, though for mutual aid party, but um, definitely, uh, it's good to hear that different people are trying different things.
3: Love how you kept sneaking in how great your vacation was and, hey, I was having this great time while you bums was at the <laughs> Oh, yeah, my vacation. Hey,
12: I didn't talk about right. the rock climbing and the surfing and oh. the nah, Oh, <laughs> okay. The escape room. Nah, I'll talk- All right. Um, Let's
0: bring in, um, Linda, I'm gonna move you as a speaker. I'm inviting you to speak, so you just have to um, accept the speaker thing, and then I'll bring in the, wait, what is the? It's the something? I can't see the rest of it. Hello, the.
14: How you doing tonight? Can you hear hey, me? Hey, how are
0: you? Yeah.
14: Thank you, Sabi. Hey, I just wanna say, this was uh, been a nice insightful conversation tonight. I like the way everyone uh, respected each other. I think Noelle made some excellent points tonight. I mean, everyone did, but Noelle seems to be on point tonight with a lot of her things. I just want to ask you one question, Sad, and then I wanted to make a point, and I'll let you go. I know you're probably exhausted. So I know you said uh, on Tuesday or Monday on Twitter, uh, Mike Johnson, the new speaker of the house, put out a post where he was talking about his two sons and the systematic change that needs to be made in this country. Um, If you were president, what would be your first systematic change that you would make uh, to change the system? What would be that first thing you would change about the system for for black people? Because that's what the post was.
0: Well, first and foremost, I'm coming from the education system. So first and foremost, We have to get rid of this rule of having property taxes, pay for public school education. The federal government can pay for it the same way the federal government pays for it for those of us that were military kids. Those of us that went to the Dodd schools, the federal government paid for it and we had everything at those schools. So the same way that they can give us everything, they can give, everyone else, everything at these public schools in this country. So the property taxes thing, that would have to go. And the reason why I say that first is because that would, in my opinion, I feel that would level the playing field in reference to the education system. So if you live in a poor neighborhood, you would still get the same education as someone who lived in a wealthy neighborhood. That's important for people who wanna go to college who wanna go to certain colleges. Your zip code really does matter. So that, that piece right there, the same way the federal government pays for the Dodd schools, the same way the federal government can pay for a public school education in this country and remove this concept of property taxes uh, paying for public education. That, that would be a systemic change that I would make because all these other things, it all goes back to education. So I feel like you have to start there. The other thing in reference to healthcare systemic change Everybody in this country should have health care, period. Like there is no, you have to be a certain age and you have to have a certain income, no means testing. Everybody in this country have health care. And to what Roger was saying about TRICARE, TRICARE is the best model to look at. I had TRICARE, I grew up with it. My dad had TRICARE. It is really, really excellent uh, insurance. And again, like I said, you shouldn't have to be a part of the military industrial complex in order to get that type of health care so that should have to change so there's that
14: okay so 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 so, sab you don't you don't believe that the system itself that we're in right now is systematically racist right did i get that wrong in your wording did i misread that
0: well no it is and i'll bring up the example of property taxes
14: Okay. All right. Let, let, me, let me ask you this. So do you think that they're, the white people that are in government right now are systematically um, oppressing black people in this country through, through the rules, the regulation, the laws, all of that, the education? You think that's what's why we're seeing a decline right now within the black community? Um, and some of the other problems that are going on, some of the lawlessness in the inner big cities, you, you believe that the system needs to be completely changed and and uh, it's, it's based off of racist policies. Is that what you're saying?
4: Well,
0: the majority of people that are there right now weren't in those positions when those laws and those rules were set. Mm-hmm. So that's just something to keep in mind. Okay. So this okay. this is these are things that were already implemented. Perfect example are the crime bills that were co-authored by Joe Biden. That's a perfect example. Like it just and it, it still pains me the fact that Joe Biden is president. Like it just the fact that numbers like in Black the Bay fact Union. that large numbers of African Americans in this country went and went to the polls and stood in line. For, I know people stood in line for hours to vote for Crime Bill Joe. It just, it it does not make any sense.
13: Yeah, I think Black people suffer sometimes from cognitive dissonance. What? <laughs> <Like, Really? laughs> which is voting against their own best interests. Um, and that's why, like, I think uh, caller, um, the Mastalorian, just kind of speaking to what you're talking about, that's why I don't think it's necessarily that it's just Black uh, I mean, sorry, it's just white these uh like white folks in government or whatever who are the ones oppressing uh black people. Like, no, because I think like what Savvy's saying, yes, these policies that were in place, um, a lot of these folks who are in government now were not the ones who implemented those policies. But at the same time, currently in a lot of these like cities where you have like maybe an increase in crime, like in San Francisco and Baltimore, you these there are these are black mayors that are Yep. In these studies. So we have to also look at that, too. Like, well, what are these black, poly- even if I lived in Atlanta, like prior to me, like relocating, you know, back back up north. But, you know, Atlanta has been historically run by, you know, how I many decades now by black mayors and they are suffering seriously with homelessness issues that are inevitably impacting the black community, also the school districts. In Atlanta, their public school system has had scandals with regards to like poor testing scores and trying the, the whole cheating scandal that happened back in like, I think 2014, 2013, yep. when it got, you know, uncovered. And so, no, I think unfortunately, a lot of it really is that um, you could maybe want to do well for your constituents, but it's also thinking about, but who do you answer to? Like, if we're thinking about like who your donors like, and I think that's something that unfortunately, um, I think especially with. I want to say just politicians, period. Like, if your focus is more so on trying to maintain power, or trying to make sure that you get reelected, or trying to get kickbacks, then it doesn't really matter, like, what you're doing for the constituents in terms of who you're oppressing, even if you are black face that's in these positions of power. Like, unfortunately, you may still go along to do that because you're only thinking of self. You're not thinking collectively of what will benefit the people who also look like you or just benefit everyone collectively. So,
7: here's a part yeah. of it also. The when we talk about black people being or, it, and especially the descendants of slaves being oppressed in this country, it has to do with the fact that the version of capitalism that was put in place at the very beginning was operationalized by white supremacy. And since those two, those two organizing principles not only set the economy in motion, but it also built out the society in that it created a means of identity for people. So before racism was introduced as a construct to divide labor, you had black people and white people in labor working together, so to speak. But when you divided it, those white people began to gain an identity as American white people which was a distinct difference from being a slave and then a freedman and this and that. So the institutions as they were being built through the ages had these types of ideologies built right into the fabric. So today, when we look at a situation where we have black elected officials basically delivering white supremacy and black face, it is because those institutions have been Shaped and formed in a cauldron of white supremacy and capitalism. And the whole idea of capitalism is extraction and exploitation. And with black people being pegged to the bottom, both socially and economically, the system in a way maintains itself. And so until, unless we are at a place where we can really confront these two interlocking concepts, um, it's not the actual players who enter the arena, it is the arena and the system itself that tends to continue um the perpetuation of black people being pegged to the bottom of not just the economy but the social strata as well.
3: Got it. Look, let, let me let me ask you a question. Do you agree that I wasn't
9: um, finished, Roger? So, oh, my bad.
4: <laughs> you,
0: Sorry. There was there was one, th- one more thing I was going to add, is that at the end of the day, all this is tied to money.
4: Absolutely so Agreed. This, this, Agreed. Is, this
0: is why. So when I heard um, what Mike Johnson said on Twitter, I was like, OK, Mike Johnson is a Republican, but Mike Johnson is able to see the systemic issues because he has a black son.
14: And he's and broke Sam. He, and he's broke. He's got five K in the bank. You saw that, right? Mike Johnson?
0: No, I didn't see
13: that.
14: Yeah, it's been all over Twitter. He's, he's literally, he doesn't have any stock portfolio, nothing. He is just an average Joe. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, really? I was shocked. So I don't know <laughs> if this is going to corrupt him now because he's Speaker of the House and his money is going to be coming left and right from all the lobbyists. I hope not. But, um, again, I don't have like Noel, well, I have no faith in any of these politicians have like, they're all bought and paid for. There's, there is There is no – they're trying to crush the middle class out because if there is no more middle class, then we all depend on them. And the faster they can do that, they can accelerate that, the sooner for them, the better for them because the economy is in a mess right now. So they, I think they're trying to super accelerate crushing the middle class, like that caller said earlier about ancient Greece. You know, the reason why that was able to work was because – Ninety five percent of the population were middle class. They had, you know, blue collar jobs. They had to protect their homes, their farms, their families. Uh, We've lost that kind of in the last two thousand five hundred years. Right. There's a lot of things going on right now. The way we break down into tribal identities that kills our uh, any type of patriotism we could have to unite us. Um, You know, um, just uh, and, and then we have all these unelected officials these people, globalist elites, who no one votes for. Never mind that they are not paid by, um, our, you know, lobbyists in our own country or uh, bet or interest in our country. These are people who don't even live in this country, but are affecting policy in our country. Who no one even knows. Half the country doesn't even know who these people are. But you know, it's I, and I think it's really crushing us. And I think we need to start thinking more on that level. No matter what our color is, our culture, whatever, we're all in America right now. We're in this together. No, but, we're stuck but, here. But, but hold up. Wait on a, a minute. The, the Here's the thing,
3: though. Well, first, do you agree that right now. the do you agree that breakfast is an important part of the day? To launch I don't, eat, I don't day. eat
14: breakfast, but I know nutritionally, yes, it is very important. I do.
3: Okay. So the way you start out, is the way your day will go so when you was asking Sabrina about is the country racist and so on and so forth you have to understand these things were institutionalized from the start slavery was an institution and then you have to take a look at what came after slavery which was during the Reconstruction time of the um Freedmen Savings and Trust Bank where a lot of the Union soldiers, especially um, the black Union soldiers, it was a bank for them to put their, their, uh, you know, you know like you, you served in a war and you get some type of money or something like that. Okay, um, they put their money into that bank and all of that was stolen from them. Okay, by pretty, you know, people that they put in charge of it was white people, <laughs> okay? And they stole from them, and they never got their money back. So that was like the first stolen wealth. Then we, then when it was like we're not going to give you anything, so pretty much you're free and do what you want, or whatever the case is. We built towns from the bottom up with no government help. We had our own economy. We had our own. We, we didn't have to depend on the government or anything like that. And then what happens? Those towns get burnt down. Um, then you also had uh, uh, FDR's policies, because you're talking about, hey, we all get together working class or whatever the case is. But here's the thing, FDR's policies didn't help black people at all. Matter of fact, he shut a lot of the black banks down. Okay? So you have to understand with these universal policies, they we were either one left out of it, like with the, the, the New Deal, Two, we were either um, got the short end of the stick. Three, we were, um, something meant for us went towards something, went towards someone else like affirmative action. Or four, those universal policies actually hurt us like the uh, Eisenhower's uh, interstate highway system that barreled through our neighborhoods and completely destroyed through eminent domain that completely destroyed our economies, okay? So these, so then, you, then you, of course you had Nixon's war on drugs where, um, what's his name, his his man, his right-hand man, John Ehrlich admitted in the 90s that, yeah, he did those policies because he wanted to, he specifically said that Nixon wanted to get at his political enemies, which was black people and liberal and white liberal hippies, okay? Yeah,
0: he did say that. I, I just wanna add too, um, don't forget the GI Bill.
7: Yes, part of the
3: new deal.
0: And redlining.
3: Yes, that yes, that's what I was that's what I was
0: talking that about. That all Rod that all was part of the new deal. And see, right. the
7: point that I want to make is for all of those things that Roger said, what it really was doing was normalizing the minority status of blacks across the decades. We were the system delivered to us And injustice, but it became normal, which is why it is so hard today for people to consider things like reparations of this and that, because it's normal to see blacks in the poorest part of the town and that in the worst properties and this and that it's been normalized. So people eventually began to see it as, oh, that's just the way things are. And you can't unravel the American fabric. And if you do, you go back to the first stitch at the very beginning. And so the whole time we have been pegged to the bottom. That's why I say economically and socially. And so now it's hard for people to even conceive that things should be different than they are, because this is the way it's always been. That's why Trump can say. Make America great again. And half of America is like, oh, yeah, we remember back in the 50s and black people are saying, oh, that's traumatizing. if we go back to the 40s and 50s, we, you know, go back to a time that's even worse than this or at least no better. So it's been normalized. But the
0: other thing, too, that we got to remember, make America great again came from Ronald Reagan. And yeah. what was crazy is that Ronald Reagan. If you look at the map, Ronald Reagan won almost every state. Yeah, and, so it, and- it just it, it just goes to show you where where were Americans like, particularly Black Americans like, what were people thinking during that point in time? Like, did they believe in the whole like trickle down theory? You know, like they think like, oh, this was gonna be the way or whatever. But notice the difference when it was said back then compared to how it's said now, right? Bill Clinton also said it at one point, but he didn't, yes. it wasn't like his campaign-like message.
3: And and you had, um, and coming up into after Nixon, you had the, uh, you had, of course, what you just mentioned Reagan with his uh, war on drugs, part two with Joe Biden's, Senator Biden's antitrust, uh, not antitrust, anti-drug abuse act in 86. And then his bill again that Clinton signed into law that followed up with mass incarceration. OK, right. so this these things are institutionalized. It's, it's not like hey, it's not like, hey, are people white people in power going, hey, how can I fuck the black guy today? It's, it's not like that. They are following what they've all always known to do. You feel what I'm saying? This is not like a hundred percent.
14: I, I I'm agreeing with a lot of what you're saying. So, we are on the so, same page with that.
3: So so, so you, you also have to understand this. When you have, if four out of five people got ten dollars and one guy got one dollar, and so and you advocated for everyone to get twenty dollars, is that fair? No. And why is that not
14: fair? It's not equally it's not being equally divided. it's not evenly being proportioned out. <clears throat> exactly. So when so when
3: we have white leftists come along, whether it's a Jimmy Dore or whether it's some other white leftist or whatever saying, Hey, we all need to get together and bargain for the same thing at the same time and say, Well, yeah, okay, I understand that, but there has to be some proportionality here. Okay? It's not just oh, you're being like Woke uh, local identity politics or whatever, there's a serious disproportion of what you would get and what I would get. Because we're so is, far behind is, because we missed breakfast.
0: Right. But this is the thing that I, I did try to I I I feel like I've tried to explain this to like Jimmy and other other people <laughs> in this space as well is that I am not against those universal policies. I support those universal policies. But when you look at the data, the reality is even after those universal policies, black people would still be at the bottom. And the problem I think, at least in left independent media, I can't speak about the right media, but the problem is in left independent media is that for the longest time, I think this space has been dominated by white men, not even white women, white men, there's still few white women, but there were a few black voices in this space. And for the longest time, I think there was some hesitancy to talk about these issues in such a way. Well, mm-hmm. now we can't say that there are hardly any black people in left independent media. You know, because now you have I mean you you still have well Nico House took a break, but he came back. Um, you have, obviously you still have Tim Black, you have um, Black Power Media, you have, you know, Revolutionary Blackout Network, which I'm a part of, and you have myself and you have Brianna Joy Gray. Like now you can't just say that there aren't enough, they're, they're very, you know, oh, there's no Black people or there's no Black women or whatever. You can't say that now. And I, I think... That's the thing. Like, people need to hear other people's experiences. And I think for a long time, people were just listening to, like, Sam Cedar, And, which he can be right on some things, but terribly far off on, on other other things. They were listening to the Jink Ugar. I know, I used to watch all these people. They were listening to, like, all these people, like Kyle Kalansky. Like, these people never had to struggle ever in their life. Like, so I think... That was a big part of the problem. It's like the left movement came out of a Bernie Sanders campaign. It came out of a campaign. It didn't come out of organizing on the ground. It didn't come from that. So I think if it would have came from organizing on the ground, if it would have came from activism, I think we would be in a different place now than we a different place than we are now. I really do. I I just, I think the thing is, is that a lot of the people who just wanted to go to the polls and vote after Bernie campaigns were over, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to put their energy towards. But a lot, there were some of us that were part of like the Bernie movement that were already activists and organizers like myself. And so we kind of knew what we were supposed to go back to doing. Does that make sense?
14: Yep. 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 I understand. All right, Sabrina, I'm going to let you go. I know you're probably exhausted. I appreciate you guys letting me come on and talk, and uh, I I enjoy the dialogue. I think everyone's fantastic, and um, I hope you guys have a great night, and hopefully we'll we'll chat again soon. Which is why we shouldn't build a campaign around West. We
3: build a campaign, not campaign, a movement around West. We should build one outside of West and not depend on any politician to build a movement.
13: Yeah, and I, I hear what you're saying on that, and I actually agree with you. I think part of just listening, even to what uh, I guess this the last caller, what he was saying, and just some of the questions he was asking, it also just has been kind of wondering, you know, while yes, I absolutely agree that, you know, unfortunately, there have been policies that have been enacted that have very adversely affected, you know, ADOS folks specifically in this country in terms of why economically, um, you know, there is a clear difference in terms of the ability to just generate wealth and maintain wealth. But I also wonder too, like, is there not also, I think the issue with kind of like the lack of, or just the lack of actual unity amongst black people, uh, specifically, you know, ADOS as well, even in kind of acknowledging the fact that there are clear disparities that exist, because what I, just as, just as me being an observer, what I have tended to notice is that, you know, I do think, unfortunately, sometimes, like, black people, when they see, like, a few black people doing well, they somehow will then attribute it to, well, oh, that means everyone must be doing okay, even though that's clearly not the case. It's like this bizarre conditioning of, of you see someone like a LeBron James or a Beyonce or whomever. I think black people, unfortunately, overwhelmingly tend to be very much so influenced by imagery more so maybe sometimes in other groups and not acknowledges sometimes maybe their own reality and maybe that's partly maybe due to escapism in some way but i do think at the same time there has been almost like this lack of acknowledgement as to okay we all need to collectively work together if we're trying to truly improve our condition um because not everyone's going to be a, a multimillionaire or a billionaire. Like, And it seems like Black people have been so focused on, not every Black person, but just this idea of hyper-capitalism. But yet, you ain't yep. got the money. you ain't got the money, you ain't got the coins. Like, Look at the whole situation with DJ Envy and how, and, and that Cesar to guy, and how you had an entire, like any person I think with common sense would have seen, this is a Ponzi scheme, what these people are doing. But yep. I think due to the lack of understanding about economics, just basic economics, these these fools fell for it because, oh, simply because they believed in what DJ MV had to say. And don't get me wrong, like, yeah, he, I guess, has some kind of platform, but you cannot be so induced by a platform that you are ignoring basic common sense. And also, what stopped you from doing your own research? You could have looked into Caesar Payment. You could have looked into even taking whatever this so-called plan is of, oh, okay, we want to have you guys give us your money so we can you can invest in buying properties, such and such. You can never guarantee a specific return on investment. That's damn near impossible that is not possible and so the fact that so many people really fell for that and were are giving up like hundreds of thousands of dollars is really disturbing because it just seems like constantly black folks keep getting duped and i keep kind of questioning wondering what is going on that this kind of like just getting duped constantly keeps happening it's almost like we're not critically thinking before we are making decisions, it's like we kind of get swept into like specific, um, maybe this, like, I don't want to send like different waves or different, like, oh, hey, I, I want to hop on this thing or that thing. Like it was a whole crypto thing a few years ago, right? Like the oh, whole crypto, oh, that's a get quick rich scheme and you know, a get rich quick theme. And it just seems like I get it. Like no one wants to be poor. People want to move up, but you got to do your due diligence before you sit here and make decisions.
7: But so here's a portion of the answer. Our people have not been geared or prepared or cultivated in the understanding of these things and the way money works and this and that. You know, um there white people by having had access and having owned things and had land through the generations They have mothers and fathers who were doctors and lawyers and financiers and this and that. And so they were not only comfortable, but enfranchised in those spaces. How many doctors' kids became doctors? How many bankers' kids became bankers? Because they were familiar with these operations and they had the connections, just like we've seen with Sam Bankman-Fried. You know, he exploited the system and he got caught up in it. But just like the Trump kids, if you grow up and you're ingrained in that stuff, you move in those circles. And blacks have really not had access to the way those things work. So generally they look up. And they can understand the people from their lineage who made it because they were always somehow extraordinary. Oh, Serena Williams is the best tennis player. Oh, LeBron is the best this. And so they could reason out the connections why those people made it big. But we just never had, for the most part, a functioning um enfranchisement in the system where we just knew how those things work. Most of our people came from labor. And so we knew how to cook the food and how to wash the dishes and clean the clothes. But that doesn't really give you the preparation in terms of how to understand the mechanics of how those things work. So even people who work hard in everyday jobs and get their hustle on and get money, they still don't understand investing. And when Roger was saying, you know, way back to the Freedmen's Bank, we have had so much happen to us through the generations, you know, Communities burnt to the ground, bank stuff stole from you and nothing ever happened. So that type of trauma is communicated generation to generation. And you add that on top of being disenfranchised from the system. And so you understand kind of why we are where we are today. So vulnerable, you know, not really researching the things And, you know, we just gained broad access to education through the 60s. I mean, there were people getting formal educations up to that point, but it was not broadly made wide open. You can still find people whose first generation is going to college. And this is in the 21st century. So it's, you know, we, we were never included in those things that would have helped us understand how this nation works and how those, things work so we get exploited
0: yeah I have to to head out in like 10 minutes but one thing I I do want to add is that um, credit is also another big issue where a lot of people just don't understand credit and how credit works and for the longest time I've noticed that for example people thought that oh I get a credit card bill I just pay the whole thing off and I'm good to go and actually that's actually not good for your credit like i'm gonna i think i'm gonna do um a segment about this on a show um one night about credit because i really want people to understand because i do feel like this is something where at least within like uh the black community whereas like a lot of people just don't understand how credit really works and that's part of the problem is because again like noel was saying if you already don't have people in your family who came before you who understand how these things work, then you don't have someone there to teach you how to do it the right way and how to pass that down. Whereas like for a lot of my white friends, like they had those things, right? So I think the thing is, is like like one of the biggest mistakes that I see is people they'll have a credit card and they get a credit card bill and they think they're doing the right thing by I'm gonna pay this fifty dollar credit card bill and I'm gonna pay it all in full that's actually not good because the way that you build credit is to show that you can make recurring payments. So you don't want to pay the minimum balance, but you don't want to pay the entire thing off at one time. You want to show them that you are responsible and you can pay every month. So that's, it's, it's little things like that. Also spending limits. Like you're not supposed, that's another thing I think a lot of people don't realize. Like when you have a credit card, you really don't want your credit card balance to be more than like 30%. So if you have a $1,000 credit limit and you've already spent like $800 on that credit card, that's not good for your credit score.
3: How about this, a system where we don't need credit cards? Because the paychecks will be above the cost of living. Part of the reason why credit cards are so much of a business is because people are using them for necessities because their paycheck is underwater.
0: But it's not, but not, but not necessarily. So like, for example, some people have credit cards to build credit in the first place, not because they don't have the paycheck to buy the things that they need to buy. So for example, like, and it's not just credit cards, it's credit in general, Like you, you have to have, you have to, unfortunately the way the system that we have now, the way that it works, you have to establish credit, good credit in order to purchase certain things in life. Mm -hmm. If you want to buy a home, the first thing they're going to check is your credit.
13: Also a car. They're they're going to
0: check your income and see that how long have you had this income? How long have you been at this job? That was another thing Mm -hmm. when I bought a house. It was luckily that I didn't switch jobs that year because, right. as part of the first time home buyer program, you can't switch jobs within that year, so luckily, I did not do that, but these are the kind of things that like you don't know until you go through it, so it's like I feel like these things should be taught to people in high school mm-hmm.
3: understood but what i but 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 I'm looking at it where we should go beyond that like instance. Okay, you want to buy a house or something like that or whatever the case is, right? If we had a worker-friendly system, you'd be able to save up to put a a, a really good down payment on the house. Shoot, maybe even buy the house. Same thing with the car. You feel what I'm saying? I'm, I'm talking about where the income stays permanently above the cost of living. You know what I mean? Like they put you in this this debt trap to where... I mean, because the credit thing really wasn't a thing until like the seventies. I know, I know, like Nixon, or someone passed some law that had to deal with credit cards. I think, it, I think, in part, it was because women couldn't have credit cards unless their husband said it was okay or whatever, and they opened it up to women also. Whatever the case is, right? But the thing is, it it was paychecks-
0: it was Congress. Okay. Congress was the yeah. one. I covered this on my show before a while back. Congress yes. was the one that passed the law about credit that's where that comes from
3: and they and they put us on a system where we're dependent on credit i'm just saying going back before that where you know like our grandmothers and so on and so forth didn't have to deal with credit and at least not to the degree that it is today i mean i understand you have to have credit for this or that or whatever the case is but to be so dependent upon the credit system you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just talking about where we can actually save up for these things that we want, where, we can, where it's no problem with putting money aside, a lot of money aside every week until, hey, I'm able to buy that thing.
13: Well, that doesn't control the fact that you have cars that are costing like over 30 grand or that you have homes that are costing over half a million dollars, like in certain areas. Right. And so, you know, if it's this idea that somehow you don't need credit, then okay, are you truly going to be able to have the means so you can be able to purchase some of these things that, well, unless if the system is also going to somehow like be able to kind of control these influxes of, you know, prices for things we absolutely need like housing, like transportation, you know, then you're still gonna have to struggle with using using just cash at hand. And I do think unfortunately the system we're moving into, um, they're definitely trying to make sure they monitor and track everything that's like digital. I mean how they're trying to eliminate along well, currency instead like this idea of, okay, well, they, they want things to be more centralized. They want to be able to kind of track, you know, how we're utilizing our currency and, you know, and the idea of not even utilizing cash. And so it just kind of makes you wonder, well, are they really trying to allow it to be where the average person doesn't have to rely on credit? No. Like, they want, like you said just earlier, they want us to be in a debt trap, right? So I think it's just understanding, well, you're going to have some debt, like, okay, just making sure that, or if you're going to u- utilize your money, use it wisely or invest it wisely in a way where you're not going to kind of end up losing it on a scheme or a scam in some way that we've seen unfortunately happen that's negatively affected Black people. So,
2: so America is a, is a rich country in the aggregate on the whole. Like it's huge resources, all the money in the world. And so the key question is, where's all that money going? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the answer is it's going to the top 0.1%. It's going to the billionaires, the hundred millionaires and the mega corporations. And I just think it's really important. And when we talk about all these in these conversations to always land back there and just have that realization, and then the billionaires and the top 0.1% use that money and resources to corrupt the whole system.
7: And that is the the capitalist model. That is the capitalist motif. That's the only thing that comes out of exploitation and extraction. And that's why I say it's a plantation nation, because when you look at it at the aggregate, like Eric suggested, you see a big plantation where everything that's being produced, the mass majority of it is going to the, you know, the plantation owner, And everybody else who working in the fields and working in the house is basically on subsistence. It is a plantation nation.
0: And the thing I was going to add, too, is like to what Roger was saying about our grandparents and stuff. This explains why they weren't able they, they didn't have to deal with the credit issue. That explains why they were able to buy homes. When we look back at like pictures and videos and we see like Black families that move from the South up North and they bought homes like in Detroit, they weren't living in like, people weren't like, let's go buy an apartment. Even the Jacksons had a house. Even the even the Jackson, Michael Jackson's family, as many like kids as his parents had, they still had a home. They didn't live in an apartment. Like, yes, they didn't have like a big house or anything and they had to share rooms, but they still able to buy, were able to buy a house. So again, if the credit score wasn't an issue, it was easier for people to be able to have home ownership. And that's really important. Linda mentioned the thing about the cars. I've never purchased a car that was more than $20,000. Never. I still have the car that I have right now is a, a 2006. It's a 2006 car. And I've had it since 2010, you know? So, but when I look at the price of cars now, like that's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that some of these cars that I know 10 years ago would have cost a lot less. They're charging like $35,000 for it. And by the way, the car industry is also in decline. People aren't buying cars the way that they used to. And a lot of the younger people Especially the ones living in the cities are choosing not to buy a car. They're choosing to actually have a bike, or they're choosing to use
3: public transportation. You could um, you can blame Jerome Powell for uh, hiking interest rates. Oh, wasn't Jerome? That's the name, right? Jerome Powell, yeah, Fed Fed chair. Yeah, because he he literally said that he wants to harm the economy to make people go back to work.
0: Yeah, he's trash.
3: Interest rates.
0: Yeah, but I know what some of these cars are worth because I'm actually pretty knowledgeable about cars. Because like my dad taught me, my dad used to get this magazine called Car and Driver. I don't know if you guys oh, ever heard of it. I remember that. Yeah, Car and Driver. And like I used to read my dad's magazine. Like he taught me this stuff. And so I know like what a car is worth and, and all that kind of stuff. And so some of these cars like a Kia, you should never pay more than twenty thousand dollars for IKEA. Ever they're not built to last. There are certain like, models that are just not built to last and these companies are overcharging for these cars. The other thing is too, is like, never buy a brand new car, which I've never done. Every car that I've had has been used. And the reason for that is not just because of the price, but also because when you drive a brand new car off the lot, it already depreciates in value. You don't need a brand new car. You can get a used car that is still like kept in good condition and it may look like it's new, but it's, it's used. So there's, there's little tricks to some of this stuff. And this is why, like with the, the RBN Boston chapter, this is one of the things that I think, I think we have this on there. One of the options, I know someone volunteered to do uh, finance to teach about like financial stuff. I think it's David who volunteered to do that, to teach people these skills, these things that like, you, sh- you actually should learn these things in high school. Like this should be a part of the high school curriculum, how to rent an apartment, how to sign a lease, how to, how to manage your credit, what to do when you're offered a credit card, what interest rates should you look at when you're offered a credit card? Like these things are actually life skills. And what I've learned is that schools are not teaching these kids life skills. I've had students that have come to college and they didn't know how to use an ATM. Like, these are life skills. I had students come to college, they didn't know how to do their laundry. They didn't know, you know, I'm like, no, don't just accept any credit card offer that you get in the mail because as soon as you turn 18, the credit card company starts sending you credit card offers, offering, like, hey, get this credit card, da da da, because they know you're 18. And a lot mm-hmm. of college students, they just accept it because they were offered it, not looking at the interest rate. Not looking at like how much the the limit is or any of that stuff, and that's what they do. And they mainly will target the college kids.
7: And it yep. is so. Imp- I remember that it is so important to understand credit as a tool, because the great danger is the temptation to use it to live above your means. Yep. And until you you know, so it's important to have, and you need to know how to build it. But you have to understand that it is a tool and that it, this is not a way for you to live above your means because that's when you fall into the trap. Yeah, now-
0: that's right. All right. I'll take um, mm. uh, sure in Case and then I got to head out. Hello? Hello? What's uh, up, Shura?
9: Yeah, my, you guys drained my battery for some reason. <laughs> you guys I were know. talking... Yeah, I don't know. I, I got this weird. I got a Samsung phone. Like, I I bought the latest model like two years ago. For some reason, the Samsung is probably the worst phone to have.
0: I'm sorry. Um, yeah. but,
2: but what did you want to say? I got ten minutes. It must be Roger. Okay,
9: so I was going to just finish uh, basically what were the topics of your stream. When it comes to uh, Rashida Talib, I don't think she's gonna go. I think uh, what's her face is probably going to go Corey Bush, if they don't redistrict her already. And I'm surprised. Um, I, I was wondering, like, why is AOC in the thumbnail? Because you think AOC would probably is is safe right now when it comes to the squad. They all can go, but her.
0: No, no, she just called out APAC actually. AOC she called she called out APAC is racist.
9: I mean, she's been funding. She's been funding. Israel for a long time. Now she's calling APAC? I mean, is that like a is that like her her like is that like a, um her trying to pretend like she's against APAC?
0: I don't know. I just know she just called out APAC as racist, so they're they're going to target her too.
9: Yeah. And uh when it comes to uh Zelensky, uh, <laughs> uh Zelensky uh he's done. I don't know why he's bitching. He should probably uh, call Putin, just tell him that he wants to live in Russia, <laughs> and let the Azov just keep Ukraine at this point. Mm.
0: Yeah. Zelensky uh, is feeling a little jealous. That's what I think.
9: <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like I said. I see people are taking my words now. Um, I said that Zelensky was the side piece in uh Israel is the wife, so the wife wants all the attention now. Mm. You said that as
4: too,
9: yo. Know, I was the one who basically made that shit up. I said it last stream, and all of a sudden people are just saying, "Oh, oh, she's the side piece now." is the side piece, and Israel's the know, wife. I probably
3: did get it from you subconsciously. Yeah,
9: yeah, and as for the crib keeper, oh, go ahead. As for the Hey, as for the crib keeper, uh, <laughs> Pamela Paul, what a liar. I mean, she pretended like uh, Joe Biden's the best you've got. I mean, I wonder how does she sleep at night? Mm-hmm. What's under mm-hmm. that, that pillow? How much money is under that pillow? For her to basically not get some neck pain. Mm-mm-mm.
0: You know what? You're a trip, um, let <laughs> The spring in case case
12: Yeah, with the conversation you were talking about earlier, I wanted to mention, like, even taxes. Like, they don't teach you taxes, how to do your taxes. They should teach you, like, maybe your senior year of high school or maybe your junior year of high school, because if you don't do your taxes properly, you could go to jail. Come in, choppy. (laughs) Can you hear me? No, he was fine on my end. Okay. Yeah, you could go to jail for not doing your taxes. That's That's what happened to Fat Joe. Yes. He had an accountant that ripped him off, and then it wasn't even his fault, but he still ended up going to jail. So, yep. I just want to make that point. But much love to y'all. Have a good night, and um, have a, uh, see you all later. All right, great. All
0: right, guys, I do have to head out, but thank you so much for hanging with me, guys. Good, good night, morning.
3: Good oh, yeah, good morning. <laughs> Peace. Don't Yay. let the bed bugs
4: bite. See ya.